and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Before we get to the show, let's get the pleasantries out of the way. First of all, our website. If you want more information about our little podcast, go to wearethecontrarians.com. That's where you'll find links to our old episodes, to our Patreon channel, and to our awesome Contrarians merch. You can show your support by buying a Contrarians mug or a pillow. I like the laptop bags myself. Second of all, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Or even go a step further and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. Finally, if you want to reach out directly to us, that's what social media is for. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Contrarian Prime, or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Julio runs our official Twitter account at Contrarian Prime, but if you want to give me a piece of your mind or just want to banter about pro wrestling, you can follow me at Contrarian Alex. That's it. That's our intro. Now, time for the show. This is And we are recording for Contrarian's Corner for Matt Max Fury Road. Julio, my wave pad, the record icon is a jack-o'-lantern. And when <laughs> I pressed record, it lit up like a jack-o'-lantern. Uh, that's awesome. Sometimes well, the internet is cool. You are confusing uh, listeners because this is going to drop on November 10th. Jack-o'-lanterns well, are a thing I, of the I past. think at this point our listeners know that we record. It could be a, a Thanksgiving pumpkin. I mean, you never know. But I think our listeners know that we record uh, in the past. I just noticed that while we hit record. Hello and welcome back to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always by my co-host and friend Julio. We have some additional guests this evening. Uh, we'll throw it over to them in just a moment. Try to get uh, our pleasantries out of the way as quickly as possible. Julio, how are you doing this evening? Doing great. Packed house, as you said. I can't wait to just open up the, the audio waves to, uh, to our guests. But uh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I watched Tom Hardy drive for two hours. I've done worse things with my life. I feel in a lot of ways this is a long time coming. I feel like yes. this is one of those movies that you and I have jested about for a long time. And I'm pretty sure friends of ours and longtime listeners know how we feel about it. But should still make for an entertaining episode. We are here today to discuss um, 2015's Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, a goddamn Oscar nominee <laughs> and in many categories. Let's We'll get to that in the second portion of this when we discuss the world that was set on fire by this um, road trip movie, I guess. <laughs> and uh, before we get to that, though, we got our first half. Like I said, we're going to blitz through this opening here so we can get to our guest, Julio. Here on The Contrarians, we rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. That's our battle cry. We'll find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated, a lot of times known as Certified Fresh with that nice little TM next to it, that logo, uh, that IP that Rotten Tomatoes is oh so proud of. Uh, what we'll do with those movies is cut them down to size, point out some of the plot holes, uh, poor performances, uh, some of the things that just were kind of underplayed or you know kind of swept under the rug by critics uh, just so they could get at that shiny red tomato. Um, being that Mad Max Fury Road is 97% on Rotten Tomatoes, this first portion of the podcast uh, will be cutting this movie down to size. Um, that's what we're doing here on alternating episodes, though. We find a rotten film on Rotten Tomatoes. We typically shoot for about 30% and below, and we'll do just what you think we would with it. Make a case for it in a positive manner. We'll talk about some of the underrated performances, uh, underrated stories that are told, underrated uh, direction that these films took, all in an effort to prove 
that Rotten Tomatoes is indeed a flawed system, art is subjective, and also that you can be as over the moon or as cynical about anything as you want to be if you set your mind to it. Uh, Julio, that always goes to comprise the first half of our podcast, which we call Contrarian's Corner. Uh, We always have a second half, though, where we bring home how we really feel about the movies we're discussing. That is correct. The second half of the show, aptly titled Real Talk, is where we tell you how we really feel. And like Alex said, longtime listeners of the show must have heard us bring up Mad Max Fury Road time and again, usually uh, with a shrug, as in like, we don't we don't get it. Like eh. Fury Road is little Sebastian and we're Ben Wyatt. Or like we just, <laughs> <laughs> we just don't get it. But that was you I, got mean, me I don't know about one. you, I, Alex. I, I almost choked on my beer on that one. That was good. <laughs> I I hadn't watched Fury Road since it came out. So it is entirely possible that my feelings about it have changed and maybe even yours. So when we get the real talk, we'll find out if if our previous uh indifference to Fury Road remains or not along with the real opinions of our guests so stick around for that and with that being said let's just go ahead and throw it over to them julio we have a packed house the biggest in contrarians history i believe this evening so who is joining us all right so i'm gonna throw it to them i'm just gonna say that we have one returning guest if you listen to our uh goodwill hunting episode you already you already experienced his uh movie insight and enthusiasm and he's brought along two of his co-hosts so uh here we have david reese and arena from the franchise killer podcast hello guys hey hey, hey guys. <laughs> such enthusiasm all right i want you guys to introduce yourselves like you do on the on your show where you're like hey this is whatever and to my left there is and in front of me there is i'm reese across from me david and to his left Irina. Oh my god, it's like being in an episode of Franchise Killer. <laughs> it's uh, it's very, very exciting. Aren't you all giddy? Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> geeking out. Um, all right, so one of you, or all three of you, uh, tell our listeners what your show is about and what you guys do over there. Oh uh, yeah, so we are Franchise Killer. We're a podcast that talks about movie franchises, whether they be one movie or multiple movies. It's uh, pretty much any movie that had any designs on a sequel is fair game. So we have a lot of just one-offs that were just duds right from the start. And we have a lot of, you know, longer franchises as well. Uh, the show is basically a, a, we go through the story and review it and then ultimately kind of get into why this franchise failed, uh, whether it be critical or box office or a mix of the two, uh, or just waiting too damn long to come out with a new movie and just people losing interest completely. Uh, but yeah, that's that's basically the show. We're currently doing uh, Robin Williams movies, which there's not too many Robin Williams franchises. Like you got Jumanji, but he only stuck around for the first one. So yep. we didn't really <laughs> want to talk about it. Cause... <laughs> and uh, Night at the Museum, where he's like kind of a character in it a little bit. But other than that, you know, we're stuck with a whole bunch of one offs. So if you don't like really long series is this is a good jumping on point and of course robin williams is near and dear to a lot of people's hearts and we we love uh a good handful of his films so it's been kind of a kind of a love fest in that sense except for except for uh yeah you except for me like like, (laughs) i i did hear you talk about uh well actually overall mrs doubtfire got got a pretty (laughs) rough treatment over there franchise killer (laughs) i yeah 
people like it. I, I feel like I gutted it more than a lot of other people, but uh, near and dear to my heart, at least that that and Hook, I just don't understand the love for it. So for those, I was railing pretty hard on those movies. As negative as you guys were on Hook, I it made me want to rewatch it. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there, there's that. Now I I've seen you guys uh, kind of play with the with the concept of your podcast because like you just said like Robin Williams I mean it's not like Robin Williams is a franchise of himself but then you can do Robin Williams movies and you were doing Apes movies not too long ago that's that's fun I I I've enjoyed seeing like how you stretch the concept but oh, we now, stretch it <laughs> <laughs> we are we are doing today a movie that uh, we've kind of agreed on and. Uh, but it's not a franchise that you guys have touched on your show yet. Is that, are there plans to to do the Mad Max uh, quadrilogy at some point? We will most certainly get into Mad Max at some point. I, we're kind of like biding our time. Uh, <laughs> well, actually, before Robin Williams was the, the series, uh, this was my choice to do Robin Williams. I was this close to doing Mad Max um, and going for more of a post-apocalyptic and I, and sort I, of theme. Can you, shut you, down. Can you describe you down. to listeners how... How close? Rather than putting your fingers up. Oh yeah, like for the, the audience, I could see I'm doing just like an inch in the air. I, I mean, the only reason I ch- I didn't choose it was because Reese did the um, the Ape series, and a lot of those kind of had a post apocalyptic theme. So I was like, I want to steer away from that. I want to go with something kind of opposite of um, dramatic movies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was I, I think mission accomplished because uh, Robin Williams has been has been a pretty whimsical run so far. Yeah. Well, I think that we've gotten introductions out of the way. Listeners, you're caught up on what Franchise Killer is. Alex, it's up to you now. I'm handing you the baton. All right. Mad Max premiered on May 7th of 2015 at the TCL Chinese Theater. I thought that was the Kodak Theater. I don't know. Anyway, uh, it was released uh, wide on May 14th and had a budget between reported... 155 million and 185 million. I'm always curious when they report numbers like that where that money is to have gone. I guess Tom Hardy just washed it for who was the studio that made this movie? Was it uh, Lionsgate? Box office return of 375 million. And like I said, we'll talk about this in the second half, but this motherfucker lit the world on fire, nominated for multiple Oscars, uh, won multiple Oscars, uh, and with a 97% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And just from its general legacy of millennials and people that I talk to, it's it's a big deal, Julio. So what were critics <laughs> saying about it? <laughs> All right. So I got I got a handful of uh, fresh quotes from the Rotten Tomatoes website. Got uh, kind of to set the tone here. And Alex, once again, for the second time in less than a couple months, guess who I have here to open up the quote section, but our friend Kip Mooney from College Movie Review. My God. You like that guy. This is going to become like a, just a, a, I don't know, a running segment of every episode, the Kip Mooney quote. Uh, he says, it's hard to see another movie equaling this one's grand ambition, deep ideas, and awe-inspiring action. Now, listeners, you might remember that we quoted Kip Mooney on the Baby Driver episode, and uh, Alex saw their friendship be strained when he disagreed with them. Uh, Alex, what do you think? Kip Mooney, yay or nay here? He's entitled to have his opinion. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next. Kanish Dvagan from Film Companion says, you'll have to watch it to see how it took us to new heights of energetic, ambitious, emotionally resonant, intelligent, accelerating, and political filmmaking. Uh, <sighs> political filmmaking. Bored? 
<laughs> I don't know, uh, Irina, Reese, do you do, do you sense a political message in this movie? No, I, I would love for them to just unpack that statement. I feel like it's too easy for them to just put in a really quick quote and sound intelligent with it without yep. backing it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I kind of get the feeling that if you ask them, but what political statement? They'll be like, oh, you don't get it, man. Kate Young from Batty Mamzelle says, in Mad Max Fury Road, the strong female characters are notable specifically for their aversion to violence. What movie does she watch? There's a bunch of women killing other people in this movie. There's no aversion to violence. Did I, did I miss something? I'm pretty sure Is a lot one... of them even make the point that violence was necessary given their environment. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what that band of women near the end were talking about. Literally came in yeah. to kill people. Yeah. There's a shot of that woman shooting another dude in the face with a shotgun at like point blank range. I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. <laughs> All right. And we're going to close with Charlie Jane Anders from io9.com who says, this is one of the few movies I've ever seen where the whole audience broke into spontaneous loud applause a third of the way in. What happens a third of the way in that would make the audience applaud? Do you guys have any idea? That sandstorm sequence? Was no. that a third of the way in or yeah. a little yeah. further in? The few the fuse. Yeah, the dying dimming. of the dying of the flare, I yeah, guess. After the yeah. sandstorm. I oh, I like, was I was impressed. I mean, I hate this movie, but I was impressed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I I would guess that maybe they just started applauding when uh Tom Hardy kind of like got up from the sand. Like, he's finally free. He's finally going to take over the movie. Uh, One of my uh, favorite um, working as a projectionist, uh, kind of like study uh, human studies, wa people watching, uh, was um, the end of Observe and Report, where uh, Seth Rogen takes a real gun and shoots that guy at point blank range. There would be theaters where people would start applauding from laughter and then other theaters where like people would just recoil in horror. Yeah. Um, it, it was always fascinating to watch. I, I'm trying to think of something that I like reacted to in that manner. I know when Ryan Gosling stomped that dude's head in and drive, I was like, yeah, so, <laughs> closest thing that comes to mind. So similar thing. Everybody that happened. around you, in the theater just spread out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Alex. Well, those were my quotes. You can you can drive us into the story. Yeah, and for longtime listeners, returning listeners, or new listeners, all the same, just to kind of give a little preamble here. A um, little bit different. I'm gonna just going to be guiding this along. I'm going to be your captain. Your, I guess Tom Hardy's not the captain of this. Um, no, you got to be Charlize Theron. Is it Ferozia? Is that her name? Furiosa. Furiosa. <laughs> Furiosa. Okay. That's a cool color. <laughs> I'll be behind the wheel, the kind of navigating the plot. And to be completely frank, it's not like this is a very plot. We're not dealing with Inception here, mm -hmm. so be moving this along, leaving plenty of room for our guests, and uh, of course, Julio. Um, the first thing I took note of was this: the studio signatures looked kind of like the when you would see Saw or something when they would customize, you know, the Warner Brothers logo to make it with the theme of the movie. Typically, something you usually see with either comic book movies or um, uh, horror movies. I don't. That's the kind of stuff I take note of. Uh, my second note was: why isn't Tom Hardy just talking like himself? Dude has like <laughs> one of the sexiest voices in the world, and they're trying to just mute him here, which, of course. I guess as good a time as any to jump into this. 
Do you think Tom Hardy is the lead in this movie? Do you think he is the star, or is Charlie's Theron the lead? Uh, that that's one of the main problems with this movie. I feel like it's it it kind of has an identity crisis with that. Uh, it's called Mad Max Fury Road. We open on Mad Max. He has his visions, and it's centered around Mad Max. Yet Furiosa is drawing your eye throughout the whole movie and. I don't give any shits about Mad Max in this movie. It feels like it transitions <laughs> at, at one point. I mean, obviously he is front and center until they get to the big rig, right? I mean, once they start chasing her, the, the movie becomes about her, in my opinion. Yeah, but, He's just like there as like uh, the casual observer as he rides on the car to follow. <laughs> but if you, if casual, gun to head, <laughs> gun to head, you ask me who the main character in this is, I say Max. Even mm. though I, he is is kind of a nothing burger. He'll put a he'll put like, a gun to your head, all right. <laughs> like it, it, but in in just the way the film is written, he's the main character just cuz he you follow him throughout the whole story mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. people impress on him throughout it. And Fur- he just happens to be lucky to be on this ride with Furiosa. I was going to say <laughs> he he seems like he's just kind of a bystander to everything that's happening. Like he does take control of situations, but it's it's like he is just on the outskirts of Furiosa's story. Yes, he's orbiting. Well, <laughs> I, I'm curious uh, uh, how Arena feels about this because I had this thought as I was watching the movie for the second time and it feels like George Miller baked in a Furiosa movie inside a Mad Max movie, which to me, even though it, that is, you know, people praise him for that, but really the really courageous thing would have been to just make a Furiosa movie. But instead, he he kind of like bookended it with Mad Max and it feels just a little uh, condescending, I guess. Yeah. You know, it's like, do you feel like he's a little bit like talking down to you as a woman? And it's like, look, I'm not going to give you a female Mad Max, but I'm going to give you a, a, a main female character in a Mad Max movie. You know, I'm not going to give you Black Widow on her own movie. I'm going to put Black Widow in the Avengers. So right, speak. exactly. I, I think there's this trend that I see in a lot of movies, especially action films or things that have had kind of this long standing already where they keep passing the baton to a female member, you know? Like, you see it with the Ghostbusters. You see it in Star Wars, where it's just kind of like making this grand show of, hey, look, the men are stepping down and we're going to let a woman lead now kind of a thing. So it, it's just kind of, it feels sort of self-indulgent at times where they're like, I know this is what our audience wants to see, you know? So I I don't find it the biggest offender, but it, it's definitely something in my mind as I'm watching it that I'm hyper aware of. <laughs> Yeah, I think especially uh, once uh, we get closer to to the end of the movie and uh, really for all the, the build-up that they've given Furiosa mm-hmm. in the end, it's Max who has the, the key, who makes the key decisions in the plot, which it's like, what? so you were just sitting back the entire time and then finally decided to take control of the story at the end because because it is a Mad Max movie. Uh, yeah, I, I felt kind of cheated and I, I felt like especially on rewatch this was a, a little more noticeable uh alex alex you posed a question but you haven't answered how, how do you feel about this well tom hardy is the most important part of any movie he's in that let's just get that out of the way <laughs> um 
Yeah, I don't know. I remember that uh, I saw this movie only having heard things, and you know how disconnected I've been from modern film for the better part of the last decade. Um, so when I saw this, I knew Charlie Theron was in it. I didn't realize she was as big a part of it as she was. And of course, like the Tom Hardy, he's a charismatic dynamo and a great delivery deliverer of dialogue. And so naturally, he has extremely limited dialogue in this. And for that. We don't really he he is he goes through nothing really in this movie where she goes through she has an entire arc. She has a, right. a, a backstory that's kind of flushed out a middle and uh, you think an end, but she makes it to and is presumably the, the queen of, you know, Alabama or wherever the fuck they are. And um, <laughs> so I definitely side with her more. What's better about her character is you actually understand and things are explained, unlike Max. And these constant flashbacks he has starting in the first like five minutes of the movie until almost the literal end of the movie that are never fully explained there. He, I guess he had a kid or something. Um, I'm sorry. Was this like in the graphic novel and I didn't read it? I was, <laughs> I was wondering the same freaking thing. I was mm. like, is this a reference to an older Mad Max that I didn't see that? Cause that would be cool. Uh-huh. But otherwise I had no idea what was going on. That kid is in the graphic novel. Yeah. Okay. So you had to read it to believe it. It's yeah. uh, it's on the webisodes. Part of the the video game. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I kept waiting for that payoff of like this is what the flashbacks mean, and then we never got it. So, I I wonder if there is a three hour long Fury Road cut that just fills in those holes. Fun fact: and- there is actually something like. 470 hours of footage of this film that had to be cut down and it took like months to get through. So there, there is likely probably something else to do with, with a that. full movie in there. <laughs> How much of it is just Nicholas Holt driving and screaming? Oh, all of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just him singing entire songs. So he, the movie starts off. We're building this land, this vast, you know, post-apocalyptic world, this desert. Tom Hardy has long hair to begin with it, which is cool. But he's immediately kidnapped by these Trump voters, and he's taken in. Uh, his head shaved. I guess uh, in the future, your back, your tattooed is basically your identification because it does say on his back, universal donor, and they call that out at one point in time. I was kind of hoping his map, uh, his back was going to be the map to dry land, but it, it was not to be. Um <laughs> The opening is basically him getting captured and trying to escape unsuccessfully. What's the the bad guy's name in this? Immortan Joe. Immortan Joe. Hugh K's Burn played this gentleman. And I have in my notes, this is 1000% how Trump saw his presidency. Uh, <laughs> this dude, like getting ready to go speak to the masses and, you know, just views them all as so much lesser than. And, um, it's a lot of building, and we we get the impression this dude is large and in charge and addresses people maybe daily. Um, and then the gift he brings them is mother's milk, which is literally he's just got a factory of women being milked. So how how did this dude rise to power? I mean, he's got some some big henchmen alongside him, but he's clearly an old dude yeah. who's very very weak Howard Hughes style like you know he there's urine in jars somewhere along there but this <laughs> dude's in charge and he's presumably generations of people he's manipulated into following his way only with the promise of milk he's not even offering steak or anything so <laughs> we're we're 10 minutes into this and I'm already just like how did this happen 
And again, I didn't read the graphic novels. So yeah. He's probably a great public speaker. Yeah, I think <laughs> it's just like a family line thing. It seems like, uh, and it family line. It does seem like they're all related. That even the other towns are somehow connected. Well, yeah, they talk about each other like brother or something. Uh, like, I'm just like, what an what an effed up family. Like, <laughs> I I do think that's that's one of the issues as far as believability is that um, so Max is how old now, and he's supposed to have seen like based on the previous films, he's supposed to have seen like basically the decay of society up to mm-hmm. this point. How were they able to develop over that short amount of time with so few resources to this point? You know, I, I that's my question. I see the Mel Gibson movies as as the Sean Connery Bonds, and this yeah. is like the turning the page over to who was the next one, Dalton, or was it? No, it was a uh, Roger Moore. Yeah, this is Roger Moore reset. Yep, not not necessarily connected, <laughs> but they have the same lineage. Yeah. I, where I, I honestly, as to answer your question, I I feel like maybe this family way down the line before it got too bad was like they're like the Rockefellers, uh-huh. and they just were stocking up on right. all the resources, and so they they provided it to the masses. Yeah. They just happened to have a ridiculously right. insane family member who but i think that th- there's this there's this aspect they keep trying to play with of this kind of inbreeding issue yeah. that they have where they're trying to basically produce a perfect human from his line mm. but he and his brothers all have obvious maladies <laughs> so and that only develops over like years yeah. like generations well you gotta keep so. it in the family right like i mean the it's just how so, you do yeah, it. but it's just going back to the point, like, how did they get into power in the first place? Like, who were they? Like, Yeah, was society so broken by the time that this movie took place that that people just couldn't even join forces to overthrow this guy who is not really that impressive? I mean, it's, I don't know, it boggles the mind. It's, as far as the main antagonist in this movie, it was kind of unimpressive because it's just, a, it's a generic design and it's not, it's not even like he is particularly enchanting it's just mostly on the visual aspect that he'll grab you but then after that he's not a great like a mastermind of strategy or anything you know all he does is just get in a car and chase after his bride and back honestly can you blame him though at that point he's going down no one else in his family's taken over like i feel like that baby that he's going after is like the last chance that he could have somebody run that system for him afterward yeah it's we live in a presumably in this a post Woodstock '99 world. That's kind of the vibes <laughs> I got with the water. How they just kind of like aimed a garden hose at two hundred fifty thousand people. They're like, here you go, uh, cool down. I'll, I'll, I'm just wondering, like, and this is cutting to the end real quick. But there are so many opportunities these people have to just jump on that lift, and the the, <laughs> the reason that they finally do at the end is just like so. Why? Like I, I don't know. Oh shit. <laughs> it, that, this would be such an easy government to overthrow. Yes, there would be casualties, but there's a whole lot more of them than there are of the people in charge. So, well, there's uh, literally a moment uh, here, like towards the beginning, when he finds out, you know, that his brides are gone. There's this old lady. I guess she's the maid or something. She has a rifle pointed at him. She could have ended the movie right there, but instead, she decides to give him a speech, and then he takes the gun from her. So. Did I? This would be again. Oh, be yeah, much she, more. Impressive. She like points it at him, and then she doesn't fire it until he takes it and points it up. 
It's like you had yeah. at least 15 seconds to pull the trigger. She on practiced that, that speech for so long, damn it. She was getting it out regardless. <laughs> she wasn't going to let True. him die before she got those words out. Yep, yep. Uh, of course, I can bring some pro wrestling uh, trivia to this. Uh, Rictus Erectus, the giant bald man that is presumably the son of a Morton Joe that's always by his side throughout the movie, and you know he's got that weird breathing apparatus on his face. Y'all know who I'm talking about? Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, he was known as the Colossus of Bago Road. Uh, he His name is Nathan Jones. He was in the WWF for a cup of coffee. Um he did like serious time in Australian prison. Oh, I can't wow. remember exactly for what. Um, I know he claims it was a crime that he didn't commit, but he he did some time there. And his legacy in wrestling was that he was so bad that he was supposed to be in a tag team match at WrestleMania 19. He was going to team up with The Undertaker to take on the big show in A-Train. And The Undertaker at the last minute said... I'm not going out at WrestleMania with that guy because he's going to embarrass us. That's how bad this guy was. So they had to do like a, an angle before the show that he got jumped backstage and taken out of the match. So basically, he ran in to do one move at the end of the match, and he still fucked that up. So that is his legacy in the world of professional wrestling. It makes a lot of sense now because he's holding an engine block at the end of the this movie for <laughs> upwards of... He looks like a million bucks, and back in those days, it was before they cut down on steroids, so he was just like herking and jerking on camera all the time it was good stuff but there you go learn y'all something about uh this guy here yeah so, that's cool to know charlie's theron um furiosa leads the i guess not really a, it's not a revolt because it's really well orchestrated they're basically going to go on a um a really uh, remedial run but she goes her own path she goes off path and as soon as uh immortan joe from his little telescope you know sees what's going on he it's it's hilarious because he kind of puts the pieces together in his head and he's like, oh, God, the wenches, where are they? And he runs back into his fortress where he keeps all these women that he uh, basically holds prisoner for breeding purposes. And this is what we talked about, the woman who says, you, you know, you don't own them, you don't control them. So they have sprung an escape and uh, a very well orchestrated one at that. But uh, Morton Joe sends his whole militia his army out after them and you know they would not succeed in covert warfare mm -hmm. uh my, my note says hell yeah drum line i'm just reading on my notes here they they literally have a drum line on the back of one of their their war vehicles that they take with them and then they got the the guy who's got the double guitar that the doof warrior well. <laughs> yes yes um so just completely uh conspicuous and blatant showing up with their attempts going after Furiosa and the breeders. And the way, of course, Max plays into all this is he's been taken hostage. He's placed at the front of a vehicle and he's used as a literal blood bag. Um, is it Nicholas Holt that he's hooked to? Yeah. Yep. yeah. I have a note here that says, LOL, Nicholas Holt. Remember when that guy was a thing? <laughs> I guess Eddie Redmayne had to you know, wash his hair that day so they couldn't cast him in this role. So they got Nicholas Holt to be... Uh, Nux and too busy yelling extremely loudly in Jupiter ascending. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, what brings them all together, and it is our first of many chase scenes. In a lot of ways, with the exception of the first ten minutes and last ten minutes of this movie, it's just one elongated chase scene. Um, but this is what brings all our characters together. The women 
escape successfully with Furiosa's lead. Um, but during the process is where we learn the devotion that these minions have to Immortan Joe with their willingness to just, you know, kamikaze style, give their life for it. And I guess the best they've been promised is they can just huff paint before they die and at least they'll ride out on a good high. Um, it just gives you no time to catch your breath. I mean, we're still in the first goddamn 40 minutes of this movie and it's just constant chaos and things it's just it's unsettling. You can't catch your breath. There's no time to reflect and be like, "Oh, Charlie's there and she was in a reindeer games." It's it's too much. <laughs> well, you, you do get just a, a just a moment to realize that they appropriated Viking culture. I mean, your brain goes, "Wait a second. <laughs> It, wait, we're talking about Valhalla here in this world? This is where, okay, all right, well, uh, oh, and we're moving on, all right. I'm just surprised at this point that uh, our main line of dialogue from our boy Tom Hardy has been a series of grunts. Even though he doesn't have anything in his mouth, he has this, he has a, a mask, but it, that's not impeding your speech in any way. I mean, you can shout Words it's a personal still. choice, man. <laughs> but he just decides, like, no, I'm going to act like I have a sock in my mouth <laughs> this whole time. <laughs> like, <laughs> Well, the worst part is that he's talking to himself. Like, he's never engaging in conversations with anybody else. This is, I mean, it's kind of a through line through the movie. And it, it, it reminded me a little bit of uh, the M. Night Shyamalan movies that we did uh, uh, a couple months ago, where in the middle of a very tense situation, these big set pieces, suddenly we had these these weird attempts at humor. Uh, here, because uh, Matt, Max, call <laughs> him Matt. So Max is kind of propped in front of the vehicle that they're driving. And uh, the guy that's in charge of the guns, he shoots and barely misses his head because he's aiming at, at the rig. Mm-hmm. But, and then... Max kind of turns, not even fully addressing the guy that almost shot him, but kind of turns to the side, almost like he's telling us. And he goes like, that was my head. Mm-hmm. And it's like, who is he talking to? Why is he saying this? This is an action movie. And he's he's almost making it like a, like a comedy. Uh, it's weird because I haven't, uh, like I've seen a handful of other uh, George Miller movies where the comedy was more in tune with the story. It did uh, the second Babe movie. And that was like a perfect blend of drama and comedy. Weird movie. He did Happy Feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, One and two. He's had such yeah. a strange career. My God. Well, in yeah, the past twenty first in the twenty first century, there's only been three movies before or two movies before this, and both of them were an animated kids movie. <laughs> and then they're like, hey, get this guy on the newest Mad Max. Yeah. Uh now as far as Nicholas Holt, he can't really carry a movie, at least so far. I don't think that he has. I think that he still has this sort of image, whatever it may be, that he was trying to upend with his performance in Mad Max. Because when I was watching it, I was like, this is a guy that's trying way too hard to not be seen as whatever he's being seen in Hollywood right now. It was like, I want to shatter the image of Nicholas Holt that that is in the mind of producers and agents and casting directors. And uh I'm, he he put it all out there and credit to him for doing that, but it just doesn't work because when I see it, I don't see a character. I just see an actor trying really hard to to impress me with his bold choices. And, you know, he shaved his head and he's screaming all the time and he wants to die, but he wants to live and he's in love and then he dies. Yeah. It doesn't work. I, I know he's supposed to be the heart of the movie when it comes down to it, but when the heart of the movie feels so artificial, then it just... The, the message falls uh, falls flat. Well, well, that's when you feel the the length of this movie. It, it's too short to support this arc because 
one second he's willing to die for Immortan Joe. Like he's mm-hmm. he's literally going way out of his way to like he's willing to die defending multiple his, times. Yeah, his, his master, and then suddenly and his it's belief. like yeah. suddenly he flips a switch and he's like, you know what? I'm gonna stay with these guys. I'm gonna help like, them. It, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's way too abrupt. You need. Yeah, you had some pretty ladies there to convince him after he didn't get to die three yeah. times. Well, it's. I, I think the idea is that these these kids are close to death and they're basically brainwashed into this belief system. So it's gonna take a lot longer than like a woman caressing his face to deconstruct <laughs> that religion. I I'm just gonna say though that the the most touching moment to me in this movie was him going, oh, these are my mates. And he points to the <laughs> two tumors on his hey, shoulder. Hey, maybe that's it. She's the first one to find those little guys endearing. Yeah, I mean, that was, <laughs> oh man, that was, that made me kind of like cringe, but also, I don't know, it was endearing in a really weird way. <laughs> so the initial chase hits an end pass where it looks like these electrical storms kind of s- swoop in every night. Uh, again, this movie does not do a lot to explain to you the situation you're in, which in some cases I really like. I really like being just dropped into a situation. It's like, well, you got to figure it out or get left behind. So they drive into this electrical storm and this is where everyone is kind of brought together. And like my note here says, Max is now with the girls that took 45 minutes. Uh, (laughs) So he's with, uh, they become a team, uh, not before all fighting, even Nicholas Holt, you know, is kind of in on the fray there. Or no, he's eventually that because I have my notes when they start driving away and he's like on the, you know, the back bumper with his chain, like trying to fuck with the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, Charlie's Theron or Max, one of them says, we're dragging something. And I said out loud, yeah, well, that's a metaphor for Nicholas Holt in films. <laughs> so this is how the whole crew is pulled together. The Breeders, Furiosa, Max. We find the mission here is that these women were trying to escape they don't know Max, but obviously he's trying to get the fuck out of there as well. And Nux now, he's basically like a prisoner of theirs right now. He eventually realizes the error of his ways uh, when he has kind of his come to Jesus moment with Morton Joe. But the women want to escape. They want to retreat to the green place, uh, you know, dry land. It's, it's a tale we've seen numerous times before. So they are just heading north, west, south, where whichever direction they're going. Uh, and trying to find this utopia where they can live and be free. Uh, their first stop along the way, they're confronted by some Tuscan raiders, and <laughs> it leads to another chase scene. Julio, <laughs> I know you're a gamer, uh, a casual gamer like myself. A game that I kind of enjoyed that was criticized for being repetitive, and I can admit to it, was the the Watchmen game that they came out with uh, 12 years ago to coincide with the release of the film. The end is nigh. It was basically just Streets of Rage with Rorschach and Night, Night Owl. Owl. Yeah. But this movie feels like a, an old school side scrolling arcade game that you spend, you know, $16 and quarters to beat, but you just do the same shit over and over again. Like Final Fight. You know, you're just kind of marching along and then eventually comes along a new character that kind of says something or tilts their head up and laughs menacingly, and then you just button mash some more. And that's what happens here. We think something's going to happen with these Tuscan Raiders uh, or these, you know, land pirates or whatever the fuck you want to call them, but it just leads to another chase scene, and it's rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. But on BMX bikes this time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like the, the bosses at the end of uh, the later levels, they're just the old bosses but with new colors. 
Like they have new yeah, clothes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But it's all yep. the same. Uh, yeah. No, I, I, I get you. I, that's, I think especially when you've seen the movie once already and you know that this is what you're in for. There is nothing but driving until you hit a certain point and then turning around and heading back. It just feels, it's just grueling. Uh, and there is not, I wish the movie was more self-aware because I was having more fun just kind of making fun of the movie as I was writing notes. There's a moment before they all get in the in the van and the rig and, and take off when uh, Max first comes upon all the like the brides and Furiosa he's just uh he's dragging that chain he's carrying knocks he's covered in in sand he turns the corner around the rig and he literally walks into a wet t-shirt concert like the girls are there and they're just like hosing down uh their clothes and he looks at them and I'm like this is the perfect moment where if this movie was a send-up of the Mad Max franchise like this would be killer but because it's it's actually supposed to be a serious action movie. It's just it's just weird. Like I find it funny, but it's not meant to be funny. And there are so many instances throughout the movie where he could just subvert our expectations if everything wasn't so epic. If his main uh, objective wasn't to wow us with the with the visuals, but instead to just kind of point out how ridiculous everything is. Uh, and yeah, the Tuscan Raiders are part of it. It's really weird because they don't have uh, uh, any sort of relationship. Furiosa and and Max don't trust each other and i i get that right she she has every right to distrust him and he is also distrustful of everybody else but then when they get to the tuscan raider uh i guess save point she suddenly tells him hey you know what this is a secret code to get the rig going and uh if anything happens to me just take care of the bride suddenly she decides to trust him with everything that she's been protecting so fiercely through the first i don't know 50 minutes of the movie uh, much like with Nux, I just didn't feel that that transition was earned. Like, all of a sudden, there was this turn, and now she decides that she can trust him. When I yell fool, you drive out of here as fast as you can. This is the sequence. One, one, two, one. Red, black, go. You have it? Tell me about the brides. What are you thinking about the brides? Because I, I, by now, we're closing into half the halfway point in the movie and this is supposed to be one of the most valuable elements in the movie this is this is why everything is happening because uh furiosa has the brides immortan joe wants the brides what do you make of the brides at this point i think one of the biggest things that i noticed when i especially when i first saw this was i felt like a lot of them were really wooden in my mind like they're given yep. some personality traits i would put that one of them's in pregnant yeah one's pregnant you always recognize her one of them's another Zoe one Kravitz. is wearing like goggles yeah, and them, then one of them was in a transformers movie <laughs> the third one <laughs> no but they're and and i can see where they're trying to go with that but it, it's almost like they they kind of go back and forth between oh the brides are are kind of like their own action heroes but then also very delicate and fragile and all kind of sharing the same personality at times so it's it's i can't decide whether they're supposed to be more symbolic or actual people so i i think that was the issue i was having I'll, with I was, their inclusion it's also like are, are we just saving the pretty ones i i mean we had the the the, the, the milk mothers there too uh what they yeah. just get to stay hooked up to the <laughs> i couldn't even tell you how many brides there are like i would have to like sit down and kind of figure out what little i remember of each of them to to finally tell you because I, I know zoe kravitz riley keogh and there might be two others, but I don't know if it's four or five out there. 
blonde. There's the black haired one that wants to go back. Like yeah. I always okay, have this one was, moment in the movie that she I'm was like, the that most person. for forgettable one for me yeah and the rest kind of had more screen time i suppose but uh the breeder that is pregnant by the looks of it maybe five or six months pregnant is unfortunately a casualty of this getaway scene she is knocked overboard on the the freighter or whatever you want to call it that it's basically like a star destroyer that's on wheels and um falls down and then gets not completely ran over but trampled by uh, a Morton Joe's convoy. This is probably one of the few movies we get to see a pregnant woman go under the wheel of a, of a car. So that's uh, memorable. Like, you had one that's job, something. hold on to the truck. And you... <laughs> <laughs> almost, almost did it. She slipped on her own blood. <laughs> slipped on her own candy trail. <laughs> Eventually, sadly, dies and loses the baby as well. A guy is just there with a hunting knife and cuts her open fortunately this movie shows some restraint and it's not one of those things where they get off on showing you know it's not rob zombie wanting to show all the gore that he can but this clearly infuriates a morton joe to find them and seek his vengeance another wrestling note the the fiery redhead of the breeders i, I didn't catch who that was one of the more popular female wrestlers of the last Five or six years, Becky Lynch fashioned her look after that character like directly for two or three years. Even had the steampunk goggles and everything. But um, the the movie's blue now, so it went from like a kind of sepia to a dark orange to blue, which leads to my question about I don't know. Have any of y'all seen the black and white version of this? No, I've been so tempted to watch it, but I always just like when I'm hovering over. The like, oh, I'm gonna watch the the black. I, I always revert back to the original. I don't know why. Like, I, I'm just like, I get it. You wanted <laughs> to do this in black and white, whatever. I can imagine how that looks. Not interested. <laughs> whenever, uh, whenever I'm hovering over hit and play on the black and white version, I'm just like, you know what? I'm gonna watch a good movie instead. And <laughs> but there is that is a trend, right? Because you you watched Logan in black and white, Alex, and you liked it. So well, do you think that? Well, I- uh, Black and white Fury Road would would change your mind about it. Logan doesn't completely exist on uh, an idea of like the color on screen setting like the literal act of the film. Yeah, you know it, it's the with this movie. First of all, as if you know making a black and white cut of your film isn't pretentious enough. After the fact, you released it in color. This motherfucker, the Mad Max Fury Road, black and white. It's called Black and Chrome Edition. It, so. Fuck off with that. Hell yeah. Yes. <laughs> and I I do like Logan Noir. I, I saw Logan Noir in theater. I thought that was really cool. Uh, and yeah, all it is is it's Logan, but in black and white. But I didn't I feel realize like... that screened in theaters, the black and white version. That's awesome. Yeah, they did a one-night screening of it. Um, and I went to the Draft House at RIP, the one down on 6th Street, the Ritz location, and saw it. It was really cool. Um, with that, though, James Mangold had said that at one point, like he even like approached, can we release this in black and white? And they said, "Get out of our office! No, fuck you! This <laughs> this is a Marvel movie. We're milking this for all it's worth." Um, with this, I, I don't know. Maybe George Miller thought about it being black and white, but me watching it, especially this go around, I was like, "What could possibly be gained from watching this?" Because so much of this movie, this movie exists to be colorful, and so I, I this particularly the setting at night when it was blue. 
I just didn't really get what the significance of seeing it in black and white would have been. Yeah, um, what's extra baffling about it is George Miller was very intentional with the use of color in this movie to distinguish this film from other post-apocalyptic films that are very unsaturated. Uh, but early on, he was like, oh, we should do this in black and white. I'm like, that's what? Like that, <laughs> that's two very It basically goes against exactly what he was standing on for, <laughs> for the original. Yeah, so he like really pivoted all the way over to the other side. So I, I don't know what provoked that decision, but cool. I mean... <laughs> I, I think that the bigger problem is that regardless of color, this is just desert. Everywhere you go, wherever the story takes him, it's just sand dunes and little mountains and every now and then you know a little patch of grass there's a swamp at one point and then there's a citadel it's just boring as a, a if you if i'm gonna sit for two hours watching a high-speed chase then then do what jade did and just set it in a busy populated civilized uh environment here it was like there's no innocent bystanders that they can run over it's just a free for all. They can just keep speeding forward. It, so that's on top of everything. The the environment the, that's surrounding them is not that interesting. There's there's one little nitpick I have with uh, this the darker scene that you're referencing, Alex. This scene was shot in pure daylight. So and it was just adjusted afterwards. Mm. And interesting. Charlize Theron does a really good job of looking. Perfectly, like, it, it's nighttime, but you go to Tom Hardy, he's squinting his eyes the whole time, and, and maybe that's just to see, maybe that's to see better in the dark, you do that in the dark too, so maybe I should, like, reel that back, but I'm just like, uh, it's so obvious you're, like, squinting because the sun's, like, in your eyes or something, like, <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, just a little nitpick. Tom Hardy just squints, that's just his, that's part of his character trait in this movie. Yeah. It's true. That's, he's squinting for, like, 75% of the movie Warrior. Like, anywhere he looks, he's just squinting. Uh, they pull up to a, a nude woman who's on top of... She's, like, in a cage on top of a pole. And he knows. He's like, that's bait. But Charlie's there and knows where they are. She goes out and does a walla walla hoo call or something. <laughs> and then... I'm not a woman. I, I don't know what it's like to have a female body. Um, but I do know what it's like to be naked. And the idea of sliding down a rope while naked does not seem appealing. <laughs> and this woman just completely guns it down this rope completely nude and then runs over as if she's so happy to see Charlie Theron and uh, possibly the most unrealistic part of the movie. She must have some pretty thick calluses. Oh, that's all I gotta say. <laughs> what, thigh calluses? Yeah, is that, is that I, a thing? I suppose so. <laughs> Maybe in this world. But uh, David and I were watching that part and we both just cringed watching it. We're like, oh no. He, I'm pretty sure he said something similar. He's like, I'm not a woman, but that looks incredibly uncomfortable. I, I'm also pretty sure, since this seems like a, a pretty uh, a, a desperate time for everyone, you probably wouldn't need to be completely unclothed to <laughs> tempt someone into your area. Yeah. Like, I'm just like, yeah. uh, I, I don't know. I'll just. Who knows? Maybe they assume that like everyone out there assumes someone's hiding a weapon. Yeah, I suppose, maybe, and maybe. so they're all like, "Hey, look, I'm completely nude. No weapons on me." <laughs> For as allegedly progressive as this film is, George Miller still had to get a nude woman in there. You know. <laughs> also, did, did the, is this where they ran out of a budget and 
didn't show actually where they live at all. Like, did did they did they just like pop out of the ground? Like, they, there's no village. And it's not even hilly. It's just flat <laughs> land, and you see nothing. They're just like, where where they come from? Well, like, the- we we passed through this bog or this yeah. quagmire, as they call it, and I guess that's their water source? Question mark. Well, and then yeah, the, <laughs> like, well the the thing was they said oh that used to be the green place, but you know the crows are there and everything, and it was like so living in the sandy dunes was better <laughs> well it's really weird because m- maybe i'm wrong I, I got the feeling that in movie time we've they've only been on the road for a day so you're telling me that the green place this mythical place that that they were off to find was literally a day's drive from the citadel how has no one ever run into it before yeah it That's, has only it, been a day you're right or, or yeah. at least yeah one night cycle and then, yeah. Yeah, yeah, as far as we've seen, yeah, there's really no clear timeline here, but I'm assuming it must be that amount of time because nobody freaking eats or drinks really right. that much. So Maybe since gas is so precious, they're like, don't go there or yeah. anywhere. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it just feels like it was too easy to find. If, if you told me that they drive for, I don't know, a month and they finally get there, they cross state lines, they finally get out of Texas and they make it to where they think the, the green place is and it's gone, that would have had a bigger impact. But instead, it was the complete opposite. They, it, it feels like they just went around the corner and they found out that the green place was not there anymore. And yeah, you're right. We don't even see what is what has replaced the green place. <laughs> They're just living out there, camping. They just eat sand now. And I guess. They've adapted to it. I suppose. <laughs> well, that lady was growing some nice little plants and little skulls in her no, purse. No, she had seeds. No, no, no. Remember that little uh, okay. little skull that she was growing? A, an apple tree. So, you know, that yeah. eventually will be very fruitful. Meanwhile, she's saying all fun. the soil is sour. And I'm like, well, then where did you get that one? <laughs> like, <laughs> where was that from? <laughs> Seems like it's growing fine. Julio, I was waiting for you to call it out, but this is the scene where she gets there and it's not, you know, the green place anymore. Oh, it's God. Just yeah. A vapid wasteland and we get Charlie's Theron's I have no shame moment. Oh, I was going to call it the. Th- that's a much better one. I, I wrote down, or I, I was going to write down uh, the uh, Mickey, I'm coming to kill you moment. And then I stopped myself because I, I realized how often I use the joke and I'm like, nope, retiring it. From now on, I'm just going to stay quiet whenever somebody falls to their knees and screams to the skies. Uh, but yeah, the I have no shame moment. That's that's not as overused. So I can let's let's edit this together. So then Charlie's there and falls to her knees. And she, <laughs> she has her I have no shame moment. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's overwrought. I don't need to see it. All kidding aside, we don't need to see characters falling to their knees and screaming to the heavens ever again in movies. Let's let's give it a rest for at least a couple decades. Okay, what would have made it work though is if like it just stayed on her and then she got up and just walked back to everyone just staring at her. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I do love how in movies they always like kind of cut from that point. I always wonder like, so what happens after this very dramatic moment? Is there just a really awkward silence when you walk back to the other people or like what what conversation ensues there? What do you do with your hands? You know, it's just kind of like a nobody ever thinks to show that. Who who speaks to her? Who speaks to Furiosa first? Yeah. Who comes over and it's like, 
Or when she turns around, do they all like turn around and backs to her? Like, I don't know. I didn't see anything. I'm just looking (laughs) at the sand over here. We needed one of the breeders to be really fucking catty. Like, really green over here. Look at all that fresh water. (laughs) That's that's the thing, because she takes it really badly. Understandably so. uh, uh, Furiosa. But everybody else is just kind of, they're fine by next scene. Even Furiosa, she seems like... She got it together. By next thing, she has a new plan. We're just going to get on our bikes and ride until we run out of gasoline. Yeah, that's where you get the great line from Tom Hardy that hope is a mistake. I don't know. It feels like it was such a big emotional turn, and yet it doesn't really have that much of an impact. The, her entire dream has been destroyed. There is no paradise. And not just that, but all these girls that she's dragged along in this adventure, they just realize that there is there is no God, and yet they're fine. It, once again, if we're talking about a longer cut, then this is something that should have been explored more. I mean, still beats getting humped by a Morton Joe. Uh, I, I would have to <laughs> agree with that. that. I mean, what it's like that, those are your two alternatives. Stay at home and get, uh, I guess, raped by a Morton Joe until you can bear his offspring or go die in the desert. That's like, I don't know. It's two very tempting options. I would have liked to hear one of the brides verbalize that, though. That would have made just... <laughs> Charlie Theron's on her knees, crying, and then, I don't know, Zoe Kravitz comes over and goes like, hey, it's wars back there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But hey, let's go back to where we started. Yes, that's that's the plan. It's like, <laughs> if we just keep riding, we can ride for 160 days, and then Tom Hardy prepares the spiel about, let's just go back here. And I guess the idea is, if they go back, it'll be unguarded, and they can cut him off at the pass, and then... They can take control of the mother's milk and the water and the, the whatever vegetation is left there and the mouth breathers there that are just willing to follow them and eating, you know, just desperate to follow a good public speaker. I think one of my favorite moments of just kind of like this, I I don't know if it's intentional or not, but I laughed so hard was uh, when they're passing by Immortan Joe and his posse. And Immortan Joe and everyone, they're straight up just like taking a siesta midday and singing (laughs) a song. And then meanwhile, Furiosa and Mad Max are just like running by kind of like with little cartoon puffs of dust behind them. They're like, hey, hey, wait a minute. They're going back to the Citadel. And the fucking Churchill guy with his nips out has like his feet are... His feet are like that scene in The Nutty Professor where the potion wears off and Sherman starts becoming Sherman again and like all the fat rushes to his feet. It, it's like so many just um, innocuous visuals in this movie are distressing and off-putting. Yep. <laughs> I Look, back to the whole going back to town, it, it just makes me think of that meme where it's like, step one, go back to where we came. Step two. Uh, take over the city. Step three. Profit. Step four. Profit. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah, that, that's as simple as that. That's how it works. <laughs> yeah, but before they go back to the city, they share one of my favorite parts in this just from a, a guy who loves 80s action movies. They do the, you son of a bitch handshake where they you know <laughs> slap each other's hands. It's like that meme you yep. know, of the, the two hands together and the unity. It would have worked, though, is if um, he went after her like, prosthetic hand <laughs> yeah, she leaves him hanging for a while there too yep he's like yeah hey come on you son of a bitch 
I'm in. <laughs> but it's really, this is the moment where the movie kind of transfers. It just gives Max uh, the power once again. And like you were saying, Alex, for a movie that is uh, hailed as being so progressive and whatever, this is the moment where Matt, Matt Max has to come over to Furiosa and kind of mansplain what the real goal is. And he's like, if you want yes. redemption, then you have to do things my way, not your really dumb way of like riding out there and dying when you run out of gas. Instead, I, the man, I'm going to tell you what really needs to be done so that you can achieve peace of mind. It, and then it happens. It would have been great if the movie ended up proving Max wrong. Like they go back and everybody dies, and then he has to carry that. And then he's sort of like, "Yeah, see." He can blame it on his uh, his, I guess, daughter who told him to do it. His his vision daughter. His ghost daughter. His yeah. PTSD ghost daughter. That we never ever meet. Yeah, she's yeah. the one who apparently told him to go back, even though I didn't really hear her say that. But she waved with her hand. Yeah, she's like, "Come on, come on, Max," and we're like. Is that is she going back to the Citadel? Is that where she's going? All right. And not only is this the mansplaining moment, but it's also the 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 moment where Max finally has more than one sentence to say. <laughs> mm-hmm. And what we're like sixty five minutes in, or 70, 80 minutes into the movie, I don't know. And you realize why he only has <laughs> more. What like he only grunts throughout the whole movie because this guy. Like, what is this accent? Like I I can't. <laughs> tell what he's going for here because like thirsty that's his accent yeah he wavers between just grunting and kind of sounding australian to not sounding australian at all to like just being tom hardy doing a (laughs) gruff voice like i just i'd like to imagine that he he was trying to come up with this accent he's like okay if i was if i was this crazed dude surviving in the desert and i didn't i guess i'd have to drink my own piss or something and I'd be parched and just burns your throat and uh, I guess the sand and gravel gets in there and then I just kind of get angry and then I go back to the sand. I don't know. That's, it, it's, it comes method at this point. That's why all his dialogue was cut from the movie. It's out there somewhere but they just left the grunts. So we get another chase scene. Hey, uh, this is a race scene. The first one is a chase. This is a, it's different. <laughs> race the finish. Touche, touche. We get a we get the race scene as opposed to the the two chase scenes that led us to this moment. Um, this is where Charlie's uh, Furiosa gets the worst of it, though. She does get stabbed by one of the crazy minions that gets through, and because she's trying to save. Max, right? She's trying to pull him. She's trying to keep him from dying, and so leaves herself open and gets stabbed in the the side. It's bad business, um, but she realizes her destiny. I guess has kind of built to this moment because she ends up killing Immortan Joe. And holy shit, I forgot how bad this dude gets it in the movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, we we're talking about the movie restraining itself from showing some acts of violence. This one they didn't. This dude gets his fucking face ripped off. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Via jaw. Face mask and all. But so. weren't you disappointed that he didn't put up more of a fight? This big, no, he's massive an old enemy. Does he look like he can put up a fight? Well, Did you not see him at the beginning where like the kid was blowing milk of magnesia onto his open sores? I mean, he he wear he has like a he basically wears the shelling of an old Masters of the Universe He Man figure. But underneath <laughs> that, he's just 
an old man with a lot of open wounds and sores. Well, that that's where Rictus was supposed to come in and like pick up the, the fighting slack. And he, as I mentioned earlier, he has this engine block holding up in the, 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 the air scene that lasts for 30 seconds. <laughs> And he doesn't do anything with it. I'm like, dude, this is here's your WWE fight that Alex wants, and you you don't get it. Like, <laughs> yeah, they didn't know how to properly utilize him. I was a little underwhelmed by the way that not so much by the way that Immortan Joe went because that was satisfying to see him just experience pain and die. But the fact that he doesn't really do much, uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, he's he, he's driving a, a pretty powerful car and he has weapons i wanted him to put up more of a fight other than just hold uh zoe kravitz i think it's zoe kravitz so he's holding hostage one of the brides uh so that was a bit of a letdown and and then once he's gone i mean you don't really have many memorable villains that you can just kind of follow through the through the rest of that action sequence it's just like a bunch of uh what do they call themselves war boys yeah, maybe war yeah. Boys. yeah you have a bunch of war boys that are interchangeable and uh the guy with the big foot and then uh, the other guy already died earlier in the movie, so there's really like not a whole lot going on on the on the villain side. Uh, now this is also where uh, I guess Knox gets his his redemption, and uh, it didn't work for me. Like I explained earlier, I didn't really get a connection to me. His behavior was just so erratic. But did you guys buy the connection between him and uh, uh, Riley Keough? That the is fact this where that he starts he... singing "Remember Me." <laughs> yes, he has a, a, I guess what's supposed to be his his big moment, right, where he sacrifices himself. But I, well, one, was it necessary? To me, it just felt like manipulation. Like, well, we can't because see, in the end, George Miller doesn't have the guts to kill off either Max or Furiosa, so he ends up killing. A secondary character that it's not really that important to anybody, but maybe Riley Q. Like nobody seems particularly bothered when he dies, and uh, I was more upset that they were killing off the old ladies that they picked up on the, you know, yeah. by the swamp. They all died. <laughs> they literally just picked them up so they would have like a bigger body count on that drive back. Because everyone else was too important. Yeah, does not one of them make it back? Nope. That's sad. they all die. <laughs> I, didn't, I, I, I didn't actually do like the I didn't have my bean counters on for the scene for how many of the people were dying, but yeah, that that yeah. sucks. <laughs> I didn't I didn't expect any of them to make it back, honestly. But still, it's like they were doing well enough, and you know their desert hideaway, whatever that like they were alive. <laughs> yeah, at yeah. least <laughs> she had her little plant farm. Uh, she was ready to to help provide the new seeds to build their new society. I don't know. Yeah. It's it's. A metaphor, you know, because like those women, the brides are like the future generation, so they're passing down their wisdom <laughs> and then they die. What did the one have in her bag? There's like a bunch of Mentos or something. Mentos, oh, yes. For the Mento she tree, was, yeah. She was waiting for some Coca Cola to really shoot <laughs> to those things off. Really impress them. <laughs> also I'll show is, you a trick. Uh, about the uh this this final action sequence is, is Cirque du Soleil really like an efficient way of of <laughs> claiming hostages? Is there is there not a better way than just like <laughs> Yeah, too much spectacle, not not really a, a whole lot of strategy there. Yeah. I mean the okay, so the guy with the guitar. I get it that it's cool, but when you get down to it he really isn't even interested in defending himself or providing any sort of uh, 
help to the, you know, other than playing music, because there's a point where Max is behind him, in front of him, next to him, and he doesn't do anything. He just keeps playing the guitar. And that guitar has a flamethrower. Yeah. So feel the need to call out here in the end, basically the climax of the film on the, the race scene back to uh, Citadel. This movie, and this is a big thing for me, listeners will know, is I'm very, uh, if you have practical effects in your movie, I will uh, ride or die with you. And the majority of this movie did. But the climax here, I believe 80% of the movie, the visual, the effects were practical, which God bless. So the unfortunate part about that, though, is it really, really made the CG sequences at the end here stick out. Like the... Um, oh, the... 3D scenes? Yeah. That, yeah. And like when Tom Hardy's fighting with the Doof Warrior and someone else, it clearly CG. And like you said, yeah, the 3D, like when the crash happens and the guitar comes flying at you, that's straight up Friday the 13th Whoa. Part 3. It's like, hey, you want to hit this joint, man? <laughs> it's like a Spy so, Kids 3D, the hand coming out of the screen. Oh, God. Yeah, ex- exactly. That's from Friday the 13th Part 3. I saw a 3D screen of that one time, and I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. There's a guy yo-yoing, and the yo-yo is coming at me. It'll never get better than this. Um, but yeah, Charlie Theron is in a bad way. Furiosa is having a hard time. Uh, her lungs are collapsing, so... Max and his infinite wisdom stabs her on the other side of the body to kind of even up the score. Um, It looks like she's dying. And so in the ultimate moment of selfishness, Max makes it about himself (laughs) and tells her, my name is Max. My name is Max. You know, very um, dry and very droll with his delivery on that. Um, She does make it, though, because they make it back to Citadel. And everyone's like, what's what's going on here? And then they just show the mangled corpse of... uh, Immortan Joe and his poor son is like watching this and he has to be the one to make the call to like make them the new gods of the land he can't he doesn't even have a minute to process that his dad was murdered so they get back and I guess am am I wrong to assume that Charlie's Theron is now the queen of the land I mean that's what that final shot seems to imply and this is the, the what I was gonna say earlier, but actually, it's it's a point best made here, which is that grabbing your friends and running away from the citadel is much easier. It's a lot less complex than taking over the citadel and then governing over all these people. That is a job that I don't know. I mean, as, as badass as Charlie Theron is, and as I guess supportive as the survivors are, that's I mean. We don't know what it was like uh, behind the scenes with Morton Joe. We kind of like caught him on a bad day, right? Like where he like he got some really bad news. And <laughs> Presumably, <he> yeah. <laughs> but there is there has to be sort of a an art to just kind of running. And it, he was bad at it, but that doesn't mean that Charlie Theron is going to be good at it. That because that wasn't even her main motive at first. She just wanted to get away, which is a lot easier and now she now she's the queen or the governess or whatever you want to call it of, of the citadel and uh, i i know it's not going to happen but if there were to be a sequel to fury road it should just take place within the citadel and it's just about charlie theron and her her council trying to figure out what the what the hell do you have to do to keep this place going uh, how do you become a better ruler than uh than Morton Joe without becoming a Morton Joe. That's not 
hinted at all at the end of this movie, but it should because it's you know it, it would at least kind of give you that poignancy of like oh we want this super exciting road adventure, but then we came back to the real world and now we have to deal with just the the, the really boring complex uh, consequences of our actions. But no, instead, and I, I think that Max knows it because he just leaves. <laughs> it's like, the exciting part of this story is done. I'm on Goodbye. other adventures. Yeah. <laughs> My life's no longer in danger here. I have no purpose. <laughs> <laughs> I keep searching for that adrenaline rush. He almost like put her in this position. Like, cause he was the one that suggested, hey, let's let's go back. Like yeah. that's that's your idea, dude. And maybe it is the best possible idea. Uh but so w- what was it? Like they they were like, oh, we have enough to last us 160 days. Yeah. That's a lot yeah. of time. Like that, that's a lot of resources. I would like, what is, what does Max know? I know he's been about the desert quite a bit, but I'm, I would take it. I, I might take a chance. I'd be what like, you world know, are you in where you can't go 160 days in a vehicle well, also, they said they, they had to go on foot, which, or those bikes, I don't believe that. I think they could have rode that that uh, big rig out there for a while. But yeah. you're right. I think that there's no world that you can live in where you're not going to hit some body of water or some civilization at some point in 160 days. Yeah, I mean, like, this is a, a you know, go for it, you know? I, I know you, there's the whole the liberate the people angle that's, that's fun. But yeah, yeah. Still, it, it is kind of funny that Max just pieces out he's like all right well dropped you off here i go really is the (laughs) moses of this movie isn't he (laughs) that final nod just speaks volumes i think going back to what we're talking about earlier about just kind of the 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 condescension of the patriarchy where he just goes like you're welcome i let you be in my movie and now i'm off you did good kid kind of a thing yeah (laughs) (laughs) yes uh alex do you did you write down the quote that closes the movie Oh shit! Yeah, I did. Hold oh, on. Oh, you did. I'm so proud of you because I didn't. I just, I just wrote pretentious quote. Pretentious <laughs> quote. <laughs> Rosebud. <laughs> Where must we go, we who wander this wasteland in search of our better selves? <laughs> and then someday, by Sugar Ray, started Blank. playing. Wasn't that the the original History Man or something like that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, why not put it at the beginning? Why Why do you put it at the end? It's very self reflective. Because the movie wasn't pretentious enough as it was. Actually, I make that joke. The movie itself is not pretentious, but it seems like some of the handling and subsequent fallout from it was. Um, That was going to be the quote that's on the cover of the Criterion of the Black and Chrome edition of the movie. (laughs) I'd buy it. (laughs) All right. We have reached the Citadel again, and uh, we've turned off the engine and... uh, done as much as we could to talk badly of uh, Fury Road. Yeah, we navigated that pretty well. So I'm good with going to real talk if you all are. I like this plan. We can start again. Just like the old days. Look, it'll be a hard day. But I guarantee you that 160 days ride that way. There's nothing but salt. At least that way, you know, we might be able to... together... come across some kind of redemption.
And we are back, but before we head into real talk, well, the franchise killers need to take a little potty break. So we're going to take this opportunity while they're away to take us into PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let patrons know what they can expect on our patron channel, and we let non-patrons know uh, what they're missing out on. Uh, This month, Alex, we are going Indian courtesy of uh, our newest patron, Brandon Curtis. He gets to dictate what the exclusive patron uh, episode is going to be. And uh, he gave us uh, uh, several options, and we picked the movie Singham. I think that's how you pronounce it, at least. You and I are very unfamiliar with uh, Indian cinema, and he seems to be a big fan. And I guess he's he's going to use his patronage as a... His, the means to, uh, I guess, enlighten us and indoctrinate us. Uh, so that will be a patron exclusive. Uh, we'll just we'll go all in on on this 2011. Uh, I don't even know what it is. I, I guess it's sort of an action movie. Maybe I don't know. We're we're going back row blind into this thing. We'll be uh, flying in blind. Yeah, yeah, full on back row. And then he also gets to pick the QVRs, the QVR video reviews for this month, and uh, just doubling down on the Indian theme. Uh, we get to pick who does what, and we'll we'll determine that probably by the time we record next episode. But uh, <laughs> Singham Returns, which means that Singham has a sequel, <laughs> will be the subject of one of our QVRs. And then the movie Simba, like, like the Lion King Simba, except it's two M's. Uh, from what I gather, these two are part of the, all the, these three movies are part of the same universe. So I I, I don't know. We're 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 gonna be talking about the Indian MCU in a way. Uh, <laughs> so th- so there's that. That's part of a uh, this month's patron offerings. Uh, also, uh, we'll be doing the the usual stuff. You know, you have the our cutting room floor where we give you all the clips that don't make it into the episode much like uh with our oscar episode this fury road episode is shaping up to be a mammoth recording uh so expect a lot of uh stuff to end on the cutting room floor and then swiftly move into our patron uh so there will be that and then of course we have contrarians after hours our little after show where we tell you about other things that we've been watching that we've been reading that we've been playing uh, sometimes they're related to uh, the main episode sometimes they're not but it's always good content so alex what are you bringing to contrarians after hours this time uh two things one uh just because i think you would get a kick out of it there's a new line of WWE action figures that i wanted to discuss with you that they're procuring uh rights to several movie franchises and uh, television shows to make figures that are based off wrestlers like roles in those movies so like john cena and fast nine the rock and hobbs and shaw they've only announced like a, a set lineup of them i already got one of them uh i just thought you'd get a kick out of that so uh yeah running that down and also listeners with crossovers i think there's some movies that you y'all have heard of or seen um way more importantly though we just wrapped up October. Halloween, sadly, has come and gone. I had like this lacrimose kind of just like uh, spiritual hangover, as well as an actual hangover the day after Halloween. Uh, I was like sad it was over. I realize each year the older I get, how much I enjoy that. Because the older you get, 
things aren't as special anymore. So the things that are special to you really pop and stand out. So we will be recapping the movies I watched and you'll be getting like the, the one line review of those that I watched. Some of them we've covered on this podcast before, but, um, and that will funnel into, uh, what our next after hours will be. So we, we got a plan here and a roadmap and I'll be going over, uh, all the horror movies that I watched in the month of October. I'm excited to discuss those again briefly. This isn't going to be some 30 hour epic, but, uh, it'll be there. It'll be shorter than the Fury Road episode. Uh, well, uh, my and speaking of Fury Road and speaking of Mad Max, Alex, we're doing a little bit of time traveling here. Uh, so, as of the Fury Road episode, I haven't really. I started the original Mad Max. Uh, my plan, my foolish plan, was originally to uh, watch all three Mad Max movies, then Fury Road, then record this episode. Of course, that didn't happen uh, because I just have a job, but. I watched the first 20 minutes of Mad Max. So my plan is to finish Mad Max and then at least talk about the first Mad Max in After Hours. It will be pretty interesting just from what I've seen, comparing it to to what happened all these years later in Fury Road. Also, in another bit of a contrarian tie-in, I did what I said I was going to do in the Oscar episode, and I rented the the French version of Oscar the original French adaptation of the of the play, and that was also quite an experience. So we'll, I'll, I'll tell you about that. I'll tell you what it has in common with the Sylvester Stallone version, what it doesn't, and where it succeeds, where it fails. It, I think that you'll enjoy it. And anybody that listened to the Oscar episode, and especially if you watch the movie, I think that you'll get a kick out of that as well. So that's coming up. Uh, also, I, I kind of want to take this little bit to uh, shout out our friend, previous guest, uh, strong supporter, Corey Ari. We uh, we recorded, I don't think we ever mentioned on the show, but we recorded a little bit of a voiceover for a movie that he's been working on a while ago. Do you remember, Alex? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I do, yeah. Yeah. So that movie wrapped there during the process of, uh, I guess, doing uh, the special effects. And basically, they have an uh, Indiegogo campaign just to raise money for the special effects and their festival circuit run. Uh, so I'm going to put the, the link on the show notes. If you you can click on that link, watch the trailer that's on their Indiegogo page, and then if you, if you have a, a little bit of money to donate to uh, independent filmmakers, go for it because um, then you get to watch a movie that has, unless they cut us out of the movie, has Alex and I in the background, I guess, doing voiceover for a commercial for uh, Body Bags, I think it was. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so yeah, check out the show notes uh, for uh, Corey's movie. Uh, He's uh he wrote it and he's one of the main actors in it. Uh, it's called Vice Mayors. Outstanding. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> anyway, Vice Mayors aside, we, we have uh, all the all the Indian movies coming up, and also Mad Max, Oscar, a whole bunch of uh, Halloween watches, and also action figures based on wrestlers who were in movies. That's quite the after hours. Uh, if any mm-hmm. of that sounds interesting, check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Prime. Check out our tiers, see if you want to contribute to any of the levels and just join the Contrarian Supplements. Yeah, for $1, $3, $5, $10, we have our different tiers. Just come in, drop us a dollar. See if you like it. You know you're going to. We know you're going to. You'll stick around and then you'll just have to have no choice but keep climbing up the ranks until you get to tell us what to do. Select movies for us to do quick video reviews for you. Personalized video reviews. Just more work for y'all because we appreciate and love y'all so much. 
Uh, so bring it. And our patrons that we have currently, we love y'all. And we thank you for sharing not only your time, but your hard-earned dollars with us. I was going to say American dollar, but we have international <laughs> contributors as well. Yes. So whatever your currency is, we will accept it gleefully. So come on in, join, say hi to one another, and have a good time. And with PP over, I think it's time to uh, welcome... Yes, there they are. I can see them coming back into the studio. I, I see the, the franchise killer trio just uh, approaching, taking their seats. Hey, guys. Hey. Hey there. I wish that you guys could see the setup that we have here because uh, my camera is on directly on my face, basically. Alex has his camera turned off, and the franchise killers have their camera on, but they're not really facing me unless they turn and look over their shoulders. So... All throughout Contrarian's Corner, I couldn't tell if they were in pain talking trash about Mad Max or if they were really enjoying the chance of just trashing it. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what this real talk is going to be about. Are, are we going to discuss, you know, peacefully or are they mad that we don't like uh, Mad Max? Maybe I like Mad Max. We're about to find out. This is real talk. Yeah, I'm going to resign myself and let everyone get their feelings out first so that <laughs> I, I think it just speaks to my ambivalence but we'll, we'll get to that mad max fury road again released in may of 2015 uh budget a, a disputed budget of between 155 million and 185 million box office return of a little under 380 million again this movie became a personality trait this is the type of movie now that people list on their tinder bio as just you know part of their personality <laughs> it seemed to have just conquered this age range of people and put them under its spell. You know, I use the term millennials in the first half and I know that's enough to rile people up. So I'll say it again. It's a, it's a film for millennials, um, but it's not just millennials that it casts under its spell. The rich old white dudes that control the Academy Awards thought that it was worthy of praise as well. Uh, that praise included a fucking best picture nomination as well as a Best Director nomination, Best Cinematography, Best Costume Design, Best Film Editing, Best Makeup and Hairstyling, Best Production Design, Best Sound Editing, Best Sound Mixing, Best Visual Effects. It won one, two, three, four, five, six of the technical awards. Uh, George Miller, no stranger to the Academy Award category. Uh, he was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay for Babe in 1995. Y'all had mentioned he directed and wrote Babe, Pig, in the City. While he did not direct Babe in 1995, uh, he was the writer on it. That was uh, Chris Noonan, which I'll kind of bring Babe back in the discussion, if you can believe it or not. Uh, I will find <laughs> a way to bring that back in here. But Julio, this thing was 97%. We just mentioned the you know the accolades from the Academy that it received. And while I am not one of these people that's a naysayer about it, necessarily, there were people that were. Was Armin White one of them? Well, here's the thing. This uh, this movie has over 400 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, and I gave up searching for quotes about 100 in. So Armin White was not on those, those glorious 100, uh, first 100 quotes. But you know who was? Pamela Powell from the Daily Journal who said, Matt Max Fury Road is one of the worst and meaningless movies I have ever seen. 
what a dick. <laughs> <laughs> there, there has to be much worse out there that she's seen. I feel like Maybe she had a really bad day. That's. It sounds like she like just finished getting through a breakup and just like was ready to shit on something and <laughs> saw Mad Max and was just like, "This is it." Perfect. Uh, next, CJ Prince from Way Too Indie. <laughs> says action films with a simple one track mindset can be far from a bad thing but fury road never successfully establishes any stakes i mean i i don't agree but i also don't disagree Th- there are things in there that i can just latch on to as we will find out and then uh hannah hodson from autostraddle says in a film with such a strong female lead how could george miller write such thoroughly forgettable supporting characters also, how in the hell is Zoe Kravitz the sole black person in this future Earth? That's a valid question. <laughs> On all fronts. All right. Before before we get into it, I, I guess Alex, I'm gonna I'm gonna steal your bit. I'm gonna ask our guests and you, how did you watch Mad Max Fury Road? Uh, well, Julio, uh, Google lied to me when I looked it up and said the only way to watch it online was renting it through Amazon Prime. So thank God I texted you. I texted you. I'm absolutely furious. I have to pay to watch this. And you <laughs> said, I thought you had HBO Max. It's on there. And so uh, fortunately, I didn't click rent yet. So hopped on HBO Max and watched this on my laptop uh, while I was doing some work today. And I was heavily multitasking, heavily caffeinated, taking notes, working and watching this movie at the same time. And um yeah, I mean, I watched on my laptop, so I can't say too much complimentary about you know the stream or anything like that, which is going to be kind of one of my points about my whole experience with this movie to begin with that will lend into it. But let's go over to our guests. Y'all own the Chrome and Black Blu-ray, or what's going on? Uh, so I'll take it first. Um, I own two copies of this film. I have the 4K Blu-ray, and I also have the Best Buy Steelbook. Oh, <laughs> Ooh. getting fancy. Uh, yeah, I got this is one of the few movies I have two copies of, if that's any indication of how I feel about it. Uh, <laughs> he actually always buys two copies of movies he hates. Yeah. And yeah, man, those Best Buy Steelbooks are no joke. I have several of those. The art on those is always fucking killer. The Drive one I own is outstanding. Oh, yeah, I have that one too. Awesome. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I watched this on the 4K Blu-ray. Um, yeah, looked great. That's how I viewed it. Well, I, and <laughs> Irene and I, Irene and I watched it. Uh, we unfortunately don't have HBO Max, so we were forced to spend the four dollars to watch it on Amazon Prime. Um, owned, yeah, we got owned, <laughs> and it was a, uh, it was a. I, I enjoyed my experience watching it on here. I though I kind of wish I could have forced Reese to come over with his four K. <laughs> Uh, I think that would have been visually well, more stunning. But the problem with that, sir, is you don't have a 4K player. Oh, that, there is a problem. I'd force you to bring your Xbox over. Yeah. Uh, well, I watched it on HBO uh, last night. I, I just sat in front of the TV, and it was before I say anything negative about the movie or even anything else that's positive. I I didn't know that anybody would disagree that it looks great. I was watching it. I, I think I even made a note of it halfway through. I'm like... This is for real talk. This movie looks amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I watched it in theaters when it first came out. And I remember I remember thinking it looked great. But also there was so much more going on because, you know, the hype and it was a packed theater. And But this time, just sitting back and kind of appreciating it all these years later, it was great. I, I, I really enjoyed it. I don't know how much of it came through, uh, Alex, on, the, uh, on your laptop. But I would strongly recommend <laughs> at one point just kind of like have it play in the background and take a look every now and then because 
it just looks it's really pretty to look at when people are not losing their faces and you know when they're not focusing on the tumors <laughs> so yeah i i completely believe that that that's to kind of lead in here i the first time i saw this movie i watched it on my tv at home this was my second time watching it um and i realized on this rewatch that a lot of the mysticism of this movie definitely was lost on the fact i did not see it in the theater yep um so i'm willing to concede that point i still stand by some of the other stuff i said but i don't remember like so i left the my movie theater line of work after working for almost 10 years there in 2014 and i honestly can't tell you the next time i went to a movie theater uh, I know it wasn't good time in 2017, but that's the first time I remember going back to a movie theater in 2017. So uh, this movie came and went, and I was just like, okay. And then I saw it on my TV at home, and I was like, okay. But then rewatching it today, I just realized, yeah, I probably should have seen this in the theater to get the full effect of it, because that a lot of this movie does rely on its visual prowess and the scope of what it is. So that's kind of my lead-in. I have thoughts. But like I said, I want to be a gracious host, Julio. So um, <laughs> give us a first. chance, man. No, I done. That's trust me. There's been plenty of people that have tried to sell this movie to me as the second coming of Christ, and I'm like, oh. all right, that's that's cool. Uh, but yeah, just throw it over to our guests in any order y'all want to go in. Uh, thoughts, overall thoughts, experiences with this movie, legacy, anything you got, anything you want to put out there. Let's let's hear it. I think Irina's definitely one to to cue us up. Wait, I'm just what? I'm, well. I'm going to paint a picture of our first time because oh, all three okay. of us watched it together the first time in theaters. Um, a very coming to Jesus moment. I mean, we we saw it the Evo in Kyle, and um, it was uh, I think it was premiere, mm-hmm. uh, and we saw it in the IMAX and Dolby Atmos, yeah. and it was. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I had never seen a Mad Max movie before, and I didn't even know what I was getting mm-hmm. into. Um, I was just blown away, but I think uh, Irina, what were your thoughts like going into that movie? Had you even seen any of them before? Oh yeah, I like I'm pretty sure my mom had put on Mad Max a couple times before, but my other very prominent experience with Mad Max was we saw um, what what was it? Which one was it? Um, the one that just starts with a straight up rape scene in the beginning. Was that the second one? It's not the first one. Anyway, <laughs> Ever, that know. one we saw at a like a car rally, straight up. Oh, it was, cars it was road, outside. It was, that was road, road warrior. warrior. Yes, yeah. we watched Road Warrior, and like that, <laughs> that experience is just burned into my brain. But um, yeah, so this was my other memorable Mad Max experience because, like you said, there's a lot lost when you don't watch it on the big screen. It's definitely made and tailored for viewing like at, at its perfect level on the big screens. Because even when we were watching it again in our own house, David and I were both talking about how like, you know, these scenes didn't quite like hit as hard as they did when we saw it in the IMAX theater, you know? I mean, the music itself yeah, the music is one of the isn't, parts. isn't as punchy somehow and... um the visuals are just so much more enjoyable when you get to see it on a larger screen. But um, I guess my experience of Fury Road was just that of pure adrenaline. And I think the only other thing I can equate it to is like I 
I love really angry metal music. <laughs> and it's it's mostly because like I don't have a lot of anger myself, but I really love getting to experience it through some other form of media. So this movie kind of had that energy for me. Mm-hmm. So I came out of the theater just kind of pumped. She where was I'm high like, octane. I'm mostly a very lethargic, chill person. So like there are very few things that can inject that. So I was I was sniffing some fumes for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, I remember you were I remember you like bouncing around afterward. You're just like, let's watch it again. <laughs> I wanna punch something. Yeah. Uh yeah, I think this was the the Give me my Oscar. This was my best performance yet. Hating on this movie. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I was impressed. You were doing a good job. Uh, yeah. No, I, I love this movie. And that first experience that we had, mm-hmm. once they get into their cars and they go out into the desert and you have this extended 30 minute sequence of just absolute mayhem. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just such perfectly orchestrated chaos. Mm-hmm. Like and from George Miller, a, a a director that we thought was dormant, like because we had seen Happy Feet, and it's like okay, he's doing this weird thing. <laughs> he's like he's it, making it, children's it, movies, it, I guess. He just threw such a curveball here, and and to come back in so forcefully and so strong and deliver this, like in the theater when when it when that sandstorm finishes and you see the fuse and it and the the fuse is going out and it goes silent, it, George Miller's like. Yeah, that's my mic drop. My fuse is this mic drop, and my friend, <laughs> our, our friend AJ, who he was sitting right next to me, was just like in that silent moment. He just he was like, "Damn!" Like it was just like it was it was so good. And then he just keeps piling it on after that. It's like, okay, you want more of that? More, more, more. It, it's the biggest adrenaline rush I've ever experienced in a theater. And I know that's a very broy, like yeah, yeah, it is <laughs> like, very broy. Uh, like it, it's for a specific type of viewer, uh, but for me, it was just dialed in perfectly. Like mm-hmm. it, it really, it, it, this is one of those like flash in the pan moments where it's like you don't get movies like this. Like Warner Brothers doesn't greenlight R-rated movies. It, this is a very, it, it is an R-rated movie, it, and. and Movies like this that that actually don't have much of a plot. It's just like an exercise in in just pure action uh-huh. cinema, yeah. and 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 it's done to a, in, in a way that's just it, it, it's different and unique. Uh, and it, the um the person who edited the action is actually the the wife of George Miller, uh-huh. and he selected her because. He he wanted to wanted action to be edited in a way that no man could edit it. Like he wanted it to look different, and it does look different. Yeah, like does. there's something about this action that it's 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 like I can't take my eye off of it. Like mm-hmm. I, my plan going into this uh, was to like divvy this up. I was gonna watch this movie in two parts. Like watch the first half when it was convenient, and then come back. But I ended up sitting on my couch just like. <laughs> eyes glued to the screen just like oh my god like i can't take my eyes off of this thing it's just and i had seen it many times before it's it's one of those movies that i i don't always think to put on but when i put it on Uh i it grabs you i can't leave like it's it's magnetic in a way i kind of want to say what might uh speak to maybe our generation as far as movies go is like i 
I can tell you for a while, I got so sick of seeing so many dramatic films in theaters where it's like an over-exercise in emotion that it was kind of cathartic and a bit of a relief to watch something that was kind of just a fluff, artistic, like beautiful piece where you're not really like being dragged through the dumps of human depression. Like I just, (laughs) I, I needed a break, you know? So I, I think that this this movie kind of acts like that for me. Yeah. I tried to get both fists into my mouth while you were saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it, if it's any indicator of how we feel about this, especially Reese. Um, so everybody, so this is our podcast room we're in right now. And we have a wall of, of movie posters uh, that each individual person in our podcast picked one of their favorite movies that they would put up on the wall. And of course, uh, the crowning jewel, the biggest poster centered in the middle of the room is Mad Max Fury Road. Um, (laughs) A custom poster that Reese had picked and made, someone in the Ukraine made and shipped over here. It's beautiful. (laughs) Nice. And then meanwhile, I picked uh, Princess Bride and it's nice on off to the corner. Mm. And and I know we end up (laughs) echoing the entire internet here and that's, we've heard it a million times over. But for me, it's, it's just one of those things I look at it and I'm like, you know, I can't, it, it's indisputable for me. I can't deny how much I love this movie. <laughs> it, well, it's like the like, Lord of the Rings got more Oscars than pretty much anything out there, but is it, it lives up to the hype. So yeah. in a similar way. Hey, hey, maybe not for some of these people. It is a long movie, right, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> what, Lord you of the Rings? got them. Yeah. Each of them. <laughs> Each of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It's like a weekend investment if you want to watch all three of them. Uh, that's more of like a day investment for us. You got to start <laughs> like eight in the morning. Uh, I, I, I actually, I don't disagree with a lot of the things that you guys have said. I do disagree with the fact that you guys are echoing the internet because I think that there's enough fractions of love for this movie. Yeah. Uh, some of them speak to what you guys were saying. Some of them, I think, go a little further, which I, I don't know about Alex, but it, I think that my... Uh, whatever negativity, negative thoughts I have about Mad Max have to do partly with the uh, overreaction to it, the, more so than yep. the movie. And it's, I mean, I'm human, so it, it just kind of like affects my viewing. Uh, I, I think Alex has told this story before. It, we kind of like reference every non-date about just the, the journey of Juno. <laughs> Yeah, Academy Award winner Juno, which depending on when you watched it, you might have experienced the movie in a different way. You know, whether you watch it before the hype or during the hype or after the hype. Right. And that is something similar here with Fury Road, where I watched it when the hype was just starting. So I remember going to the theater, having seen just like a few people, like not a few people, a whole bunch of people tweeting about it and just being over the moon. I remember, I think it was Patton Oswalt who was just like, Raising the movie and just talking about how George Miller had basically just taken everybody to school, and uh, <laughs> and I watched it and, and I had a good time and I was like, you know, he was right. That was a good action movie. Yeah. I, it, what you were saying, it's that was fluff, but it was perfectly executed fluff. I had a great time. This movie did not give me any greater understanding of the world, but I didn't need it to, and that's fine. <laughs> but then at some point, the narrative changed into like Mad Max being something deeper, I guess. It's something more resonant. And and that's where I was like, eh, I don't know about that. And I could be missing some something. Or there could be just it could be on me partly. My main focus uh when I was rewatching it this time was trying to figure out what is it about this movie that is not 
really connecting with me, but connecting with other people. Uh, I knew just based on having watched it before that it had some to do probably with Nux. I know that the Nux character is has like some pretty emotional beats that just don't do anything for me. But I think that they they work for other people. So that probably has something to do with it. Uh, I think that the setting is, is a lot of fun when you're talking about like racing cars and all that stuff. But when it comes to me caring about these characters, not so much, you know, just the way they speak. And it's just so removed from reality that I think it kind of gets in the way of me really getting an emotional response when it gets to those big beats in the movie, right? Like uh, when Max reveals his name to Furiosa, I just don't feel it. Yeah. And that's fine. That's fine if we're talking about an action movie. But I, I kind of feel like the people that are that hail it as, as the best movie of the year or, you know, this, I would like to think that they're getting something more emotionally rich than I am. So they really tear up when, when Max says his name and they really tear up when Nux sacrifices himself. I, I'll give it this. This time I, I felt a little more when he said, witness me. I was like, oh, okay. I felt it a little bit, but I wasn't like devastated. And and I kind of feel like that the perfect model of watching this movie should have you just destroyed at that moment. Right. No, I agree. And I, I actually agree with this being a one of the Oscar nominees. Uh, frankly, I do get kind of bored with the... Uh, the quiet dramas that are always picked for the the, the top 10 Oscar nominees. And, and I kind of like get a little excited when, you know, the odd little genre pick finds its way into the conversation there. Just because I, I, I don't know. It's just like, hey, it kind of shakes up the Oscar game. It a made a, an impact of some kind. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I thought if there was one, and I know this sounds crazy, but if there was one to win it, I, I was kind of pulling for Mad Max just because... What, like why not like, it's all a joke anyway <laughs> exactly like I, I think the oscars are definitely a joke like there's i don't know how they ever come to their decisions but it's always there, there's always so many snubs or just things that are left out that I, they're just so baffling but that kind of opens up a conversation though where it's like when do we acknowledge the best of a possible genre movie like it, it like for me mad max is it's one of the best action movies, and I think that makes it a qualifier into the Oscars, uh, just because it is it, it it operates on this the highest possible level in the action genre. Like it, I just think that like I don't know I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm just yeah. it's like no, 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 I, like, I get your point. I, I get your point because it's uh, I, I I do have an answer, or and of course it's all very subjective as as you know all these contests and awards and. A lot, but I've always measured the idea of rewarding a movie. You know what makes a movie better than others, mm-hmm. right? And yes, I think that excellence in its genre is definitely a metric that you can use. I I personally lean more towards the effect it has on me, and I I, I do think that Fear Road is is it can be exhilarating, especially when you're watching a movie theater and you're like all in on it. I mean, just a few episodes ago, I was defending Baby Driver against Alex's attacks because I was like, when that movie is on, it's on. And I, I actually, I think that the way I Mad feel Max about- Mad Max is better than Baby Driver. I'll say that right now. You had to go there. <laughs> but I, well, when when Baby Driver is working, when those, those uh, high scenes are happening, when he's driving, when the music is flowing and everything- I feel that way, I think, the way that a lot of people feel about 
uh, Fury Road. So on that on that sense, I, I can get it. When you, when when a movie makes you feel that way, yes, it, it, that's in a way excellence on that genre. But neither Baby Driver nor uh, Fury Road uh, leaves me with. Uh, I mean, this sounds pretentious. Speaking of pretentious quotes at the end of the movie or whatever, but you know, it doesn't leave me with a better understanding of the world, uh, which is one of the reasons why I picked that quote. Or like that that critic was saying that you know it was handling political issues and it was like you're pushing too hard so if you're telling me that that mad max deserved an award because it was one of the best executed action movies i i I understand that but if you for the people that are saying that mad max is the best movie of the year hold on we're saying best executed action movie of 2015 right right but but i mean i do have a follow-up where i i want to hear what anybody else is like favorite action movies are like if if not Mad Max what's the pinnacle of that genre uh, but I would say th- the thing is I want when I decide oh this was the best movie of the year for you know anybody that asks I'll be like oh it's the movie that really shook me emotionally not necessarily in a, in a dark depressing way although that can be sometimes the case, but also in a way that just made me think about life and think about stuff like Mad Max doesn't make me think Mad Max mm-hmm. pumps me up Baby Driver makes me up, but I walk away from it and I was like, that was, you know, that was like riding a roller coaster, but I didn't come away from it with new ideas in my head. And that's fine. You know, it doesn't have to do that. But I would say that the reason why I I kind of have a resistance to some of the praise it gets is because I believe that there's part of the the, the praise that's getting is for something that it doesn't do for me, which is give me emotions beyond the thrill of the chase, the thrill of those rides. But Okay, so Fury Road aside, do you guys have other action movies that you love? Oh, yeah, oh, for sure. Um, do you want like what what I feel like is the pinnacle of yes, you know, action in like g- give me a a a span of years, like because I could. Well, I would say just like on the your answer very is T two. The answer <laughs> is T two. <laughs> Uh, uh, T2 no, is but... excellent. Yeah, for sure. The The action in that is spectacular. I think the uh, Mission Impossible franchise has given it a run for its money as of late. Uh, the pr- Planet of the Apes could ar- also be argued as uh, action. I less associate those with action. Like that Planet oh. of the Apes, there's a lot more. John Wick? John Wick, yes, uh, if you want your, your gun foo or whatever the heck it's called. <laughs> uh, uh, but honestly, uh, this... Sounds redundant. I I think Fury Road is the best action movie that I have seen. Like I, if you're going for like, if I'm to recommend someone an action movie, like, do you want the best fucking action? I will say Fury Road. I I I, and that's not just because I'm on the Fury Road episode. That's because <laughs> I honestly, truly believe that. Like I I just think it is the best action. And that is like big bold letters. Action, like don't don't go to this for anything else. Like there there are some profoundish things to think about with this movie, but that's that's not why you see Fury Road. It is a straight up chase movie, back and forth, action, 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 action. And I think it is executed at the utmost level. So yes, with a bullet, I would put Fury Road at the top if I'm recommending an action movie. But there there's definitely a, a lot of other movies that do it exceptionally you know, well. Lord of the Rings has action in it. 
Yeah, but Lord of the Rings, you don't... It, it's not like, yeah, Lord of the Rings, the action movie. No, well, it's like if, if someone came up to you and said, like, hey, what's a good action movie? You're just like, Lord of the Rings. Well, granted, um, I say that when I, whenever they bring up any. He's like, oh, good comedy, Lord of the Rings. Uh, good sci-fi, Lord of those, the Rings. Those Fantasy, hobbits, though? Oh, yeah. Lord of the Rings, my friend. What about a good score? I, I don't know. Hobbit? No. Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Well, how about you, Irina? Do you do you are you also would you put Fear Road at the very top of your action movie list? It's complicated for me because I usually don't gravitate towards action, and I think that might speak to why I like this one so much is because it's just it's kind of just giving you everything you want. I get tired with the same old routines being played across the screen over and over. But I would say, like, along with my favorite action films, the only other one that really is popping into my head right now would be things like John Wick and Gladiator. The Matrix. I, I love Gladiator, too. But that's also kind of, it, it's complicated because it's action, but it's also just something Drama. a little more than that. Yeah. So, strictly, if you're, like, kind of cutting everything else out and you're it's just action, Mad Max, but I'm... I'm more of a Matrix person myself. <laughs> I'm glad someone fucking finally said it. The Matrix said that. <laughs> yeah, the first, the first one specifically. I usually kind of like forget about the others. I'm more talking about the first. Also, fucking police story. If you've seen that, that is like, oh my gosh, chef's. Is kiss. that uh, Jackie Chan? Yes, that was so okay. good. Action is amazing in that. And I know I haven't seen it, but I know a lot of people swear by it, the raid and in the raid too. Oh, the raid is amazing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's time to unleash the kraken. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> you've been you've been hearing us be unleash extremely positive kraken. and somewhat positive uh, about the movie. There's there's been some insanely hyperbolic things stated <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> um. So yeah, first and foremost, the Matrix is probably the best modern example of that of an action movie that could exist in a sense that changed the world mm-hmm. that thing um there's an age gap for sure but uh t2 is the answer and, <laughs> and, and by age gap i mean y'all are younger than me and julio's much much older than me so there's <laughs> there, you know i guess i hit the sweet spot of that but t2 is always the answer to that if you're not including like sci-fi shit but do you want to know how what this age gap is all about, Alex? Uh, or just as an extra example, my answer is Die Hard. So Die Hard's proceed. good. That's a good one. Well, honestly, Independence Day comes to mind for me too. To me, that that is like the embodiment of the classic American action film. Just this ridiculous plot. Uh, you know, America's America is at threat here, and in, you know the visual effects they hold up to today. I watched that movie again on Independence Day this year, and I was like, holy shit, this holds up that's one that comes to mind um okay so here's the deal you fucks uh with uh, mad max fury road first and foremost not going to criticize anyone for getting emotional about watching a movie uh considering i almost started crying in the theater during halloween kills so <laughs> that's i've got that on my plate lost all credibility already um with mad max fury road first of all Hearing y'all tell a story about seeing a movie at a movie theater in Kyle, I that that's amazing. I moved to Kyle in two thousand two. That's where I went to high school, and that like literal tumbleweeds and shit is all that was there when I went there. So the, hearing y'all talk about going to a movie theater there is very entertaining. Um, I appreciate the visual effects of it all. 
I appreciate that in all movies. Uh, at the end of the day, I feel that if that's your movie, that's a bit of a crutch. I think that um, Inception and Interstellar, or you know, take your pick of those type of movies that are big event movies, even you know, Independence Day things that I reference there. Uh, there still has to be something more to it than me watching it and go, well, I wish I had watched this in a movie theater so that I could be enjoying it more than I am right now. Uh, with those movies, that's definitely the case, but it's still enough in there to keep my train of thought. This movie is just chasing, 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 which is fine because it does that very well. George Miller knows what he's doing. He knows how to do it well. That's better than him trying to divert away from that and do something different or dramatic that doesn't work. And then we're kind of just left here like life on its side. Instead, we watch this and we're like, this is great for what it is. Um, from the Oscars perspective, uh, speaking of age ranges, there's different groups of people. Some people think the Oscars lost all, at least people that I know of and People, there's probably some people that think the Oscars lost credibility in like the 50s and shit, but I know there are people that think the Oscars lost credibility when Beauty and the Beast was nominated for Best Picture in 1992 uh, because an animated film was nominated for Best Picture. And I know there's people that think the Academy Awards lost all credibility in 96 uh, when Babe was nominated for Best Picture. Oh, there uh, it is. Yes. And so... Was it actually nominated not- for Best Picture? Yeah. Ba- yeah. Uh, James Cromwell was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. I think it was Best yeah, uh, best Picture, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor, Adapted Screenplay, Art Direction, Film Editing, and Visual Effects. Uh, like, Babe is good, so, but I, I don't know if I'm... <laughs> that, yeah, that's that's the point. Like, I, Yeah, Babe's a great movie, but exactly to that point, it's like, hmm, that's, that's a bit quizzical. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to say that I think the Oscars lost credibility with Mad Max, so y'all can all unclench your chest there. Buttholes <laughs> relax now. It's clear that in the wake of The Dark Knight, they reassessed their lineup. The next year after The Dark Knight is when they said, hey, we can have 10 nominees. And then they realized there's not really 10 good movies that come out in a year, so they have to just say we can have up to 10 nominees. And since then, they've tried to include things like, you know, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing, because Up got nominated for Best Picture. That's cool. District 9 got nominated for Best Picture. That's fucking awesome. Um, But they have made a conscious effort since The Dark Knight and the negative, you know, feedback they got for not properly giving that movie it's just due to say okay we have to dip our toe into these other movies and with mad max i think it was a safe bet um especially in the time period it came out that kind of leads to my next point here uh irena the do you connect to this movie i once said to somebody that i think this movie's okay Mm -hmm. not great and they said it's because i'm a man oh Uh, (laughs) And, you know, I don't understand it from a female perspective. Do you put too much weight into that? No, I I never actually thought of whether it affected me more being a woman <laughs> because I, I don't know. It, it never actually felt like too heavy handed with that in my mind. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, yeah. I just I never felt that. Well, way. we have talked about before how this 
seem to be a more appropriate adaptation of of girl power. I mean, whereas some are very obvious and yeah. in your face with it. Well, well, this is much closer to something like Alien than it is to yeah. that, which yeah. is one I of just, the best okay. forms of a female action hero. To, to answer you, Alex, I, I hate that kind of comment that people make because, again, like I mentioned in the beginning of the episode, they don't have anything to back that up with. It's just a blanket statement so that they can avoid talking about any other Well, and issues. it's dividing it. You're never going to see my side, therefore... The conversation's over. Yeah, it's yeah. it's not really an well, open debate by that point. Well, I'm well, always I, I I'm always open to... though. Just just kind of like this. This is to your point, Alex, or I guess your question. I I think that sometimes that point of view is valid. Like if it's followed by an explanation. Yeah. But if it because I I've had my eyes opened about something about movies about art in general that I was coming at from a very specific point of view, and then someone else explained how why they liked it why they disliked it and it just it was something that wouldn't have ever crossed my mind and that sometimes had to do with gender sometimes it had to do with upbringing cultural background whatever so mm-hmm. i mean i'm not 100 percent against somebody telling me you don't get it because you're not experiencing it as as a woman i don't think it applies to mad max I mean, I'm glad to hear a woman say it on the show because that, otherwise I would sound like an asshole. Right. But <laughs> you just said it and I can repeat it. Like, I don't think that the... And that's not a bad thing. I think that a lot of people can project their own narrative and, and kind of like enhance whatever, uh, I don't know, feminist slash girl power slash, you know, whatever elements are in Fury Road and, and praise the movie for that and that's fine. But to turn that into a criticism of the people that don't like it and just saying that, oh, well, you're just missing out on on this crucial element, the the female element of the movie. I don't think it applies. I I I, I wouldn't agree. So, I mean, I'm with you on that side, Alex. Yeah, I was mainly just I wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to offend any of our guests by saying that. So I wanted to make sure that was clear. <laughs> what we trashed some movie, Julio, and we got told that it's because we were guys that we didn't get it i can't remember what it was but well, that's I, happened I'm, a few times <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad to hear the the female perspective on that because that puts me at ease because i don't think this movie uh shoehorns that in or spoon feeds it to you at all i think it's just kind of part of the story you know Julie and i talked about um the untouchables the french movie like there's not that many overtones of racism in it just because they don't talk about it. And that's just kind of like in this, there's not like these overtones of rah, rah girls or men, bad type thing, just because it's presented the way it is. And I, I really appreciate that part of it. Uh, Cause it seems like there's a lot of things that are kind of in flux right now in a lot of ways, rightfully so, but they come across as heavy handed or almost pandering to a certain degree. And one of the things I can be most complimentary about this movie is that is not the case at all. Right. Um, it's entertaining. Uh, and you know, for someone like me that likes my movies to be kept at a tight 90 minutes, this thing goes two hours and I don't feel the runtime at all. So that's something I'm complimentary about too. I like it. I do. I just, it's, it's the Juno effect. I saw Juno and I was like, that was fun. And you know, I saw it at like a limited release at, a, at our theater for some reason in Denton got it, uh, before everyone else did. And I saw it. I was like, that was a fun movie. And then it started hitting theaters and like the festival circuit and stuff. And everyone's like, oh my God, this is like this uh, generation defining, you know, movie. And this is best picture. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> like, all right, let's, let's pump the brakes on all that. And that's kind of how I felt with this, but it's in reverse order. Cause I saw this way after all the hype and everything. That's worse. That was a worse experience. 
because mm-hmm. on this this rewatch for me, I enjoyed it a lot more. The first time I watched it, I had this feeling of like, really? This is like this is where the bar is for like best picture and this is what everyone was telling me that I need to see. So I'm glad that's gone. And I'm glad now that I can have enjoyed what I saw. It's just I don't know. I'm old and bitter and <laughs> I I know what I like and I know what I want from movies that are treated like this got treated. And clearly I am in the wrong because now we live in the, the time of this and Marvel bullshit. And like, I, I'm still here living five years ago saying that everyone needs to go see good time and it's the best movie ever. And so when they're going to make another T2, no, well they, they can't, they, that's cause that movies that that's like one of those, um, you know, circling wrestling back into it, wrestling fans always argue about, you know, what the best match ever is. And there's some matches that I call like T2. And I, why I say that is, you know, I don't think that's the best movie ever made. But if someone told me it was, I wouldn't argue with them. And that's how I feel about T2. So, yeah, I think it comes down to just being old and um, <laughs> jaded. I love Tom Hardy. I love Charlize Theron. I wasn't joking too much in the first half. I think Nicholas Holt is just a poor man's Eddie Redmayne and Eddie Redmayne (laughs) is a poor man's Hugh Grant. And that's just (laughs) the absolute state of that is depressing. So, um, I don't know. It's a movie I'd still give like a B to because the action is great. And like I said, I love the practical effects and, it, well, would you uh, would you acknowledge, Alex, that it is a breath of fresh air, though? Because you usually, you know, you'll be the first to complain when something is just kind of like beating a dead horse. The, the MCU movies and just like the sequels and the remakes and whatever. And this, yes, it is a sequel in a way, but it, it kind of, I, I think it stands on its own. And mm-hmm. it is, you know, it, it, I, I felt that it was somewhat unique and it just, it was something new. It was not, you know. So- that's something else I kind of was trying to formulate my thoughts on watching this because it is a little different, a little new. And I think it's the best we can do right now or the best we can hope for that uh, someone like George Miller comes to Warner Brothers and is like, hey, I'm going to make a sequel to Mad Max. And that's all they need. They trust him to make what he wants to make and he makes what he wants to make. And it's this movie that we're treated to. Sadly, you know, no one's going to be able to come to it with an original idea like this and it get bankrolled anymore. So I think to your question and to your point, this is as good as we can hope for from a certain perspective in today's environment for a movie like this to succeed on a wide scale and get like a major release and be packed with A-list actors and that type of shit. So, yeah, my experience rewatching it was much more positive than my first time. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to... I would hope that right now, like after making Fury Road, George Miller would be able to walk up to any studio and just go like, I want to just make this action movie that has zero ties to any properties. And they'll be like, that's cool. You're the guy that made Fury Road. You can do whatever you want. I would assume, <laughs> I don't know, yeah. But I would hope so. So in that in that sense, I think a Fury Road also plays a very important role in just, just keeping talented people doing things that we enjoy. Uh, but you guys are the, the franchise guys. So I I was telling you before we started recording, my original plan was to watch all three Mad Max movies and then rewatch Fury Road because I'd never seen all the others. And uh, and that 
became <laughs> very quickly it, it became impossible so watch like the first 30 minutes of the first movie uh now thanks to irena i know that uh road warrior opens on a horrific rape scene apparently and <laughs> that's I know what that, i remembered <laughs> <laughs> and i know that the third movie has seen a turner um have you guys seen all of them? Do you have thoughts about the franchise as opposed to, you, you know, when it comes to how it ties into Fury Road, what Fury Road does with the Mad Max character? Like, do you think that this movie would be better if it was not a Mad Max movie and if it was just Fury Road, you know, without Mad Max? Uh, so I'll, I'll chime in. Um, I have seen the whole franchise. Uh, and I think, as I stated earlier, that all these films are completely different from the one before it. Uh, so Mad Max, the first one is kind of slightly pre-apocalypse. So Max is like, he's like a police officer. Like pre-mad. Yeah. Yeah. It's very low budget. <laughs> and you get the sense that George Miller really, he had not committed to this like post-apocalyptic desert planet. Like it, there's signs of, disorder like a crumbling society the society is crumbling for sure that movie ends next movie road warrior it's a complete it it is the desert world we have a silent protagonist he's lost his love and his uh i I think he had a daughter in the first one who dies as well Uh, but it has been a long time since i've seen it but yeah that that that's kind of what sets the template for what to expect with the mad max franchise and then Thunderdome is like just a straight up 80s movie. Like it's like the the, the ones before it, yeah, you, you, they they are you, you can kind of tell when they were made, but the Thunderdome's the most like obvious like yeah, this is a fucking 80s movie. Like it's uh, <laughs> it's it that movie and it's weird cuz there's hardly any car chases in that one. It's there's a lot of kids, there's a lot of Tina Turner stuff, there's a lot of like the there's a fight in a dome. The Thunderdome. The Thunderdome. The Thunderdome. Uh, uh, yeah. Doug Dimmadome. Uh, and, and then we end on this kind of like almost train sequence slash, slash car chase. Uh, so they do finally get there. But it's uh, all these movies are so different from one another. Uh, so when Fury Road comes around, it, it really isn't jarring that this movie is different from the ones before it. I will say, though, it's... It's like 30, at least 30 years later than Thunderdome. So it's jarring almost to see this franchise with a modern sheen on it. But I don't think any of the the charm of the franchise is diminished. That's something that like has carried through weirdly for it. So uh, yeah, I, I think it fits in this franchise and I, and I totally love it. And I, and I kind of referenced James Bond earlier. I almost see this as like the... Casino Royale uh, mm-hmm. reboot of a great Mad Max franchise where it's like, yeah, we're bringing this into the modern era. It is carrying over elements from the previous ones, but this is like, this is the new template that we're going to build on. So that that's kind of how I feel we're at with I, this I, franchise. I love that. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to shout out uh, the editor that you mentioned, Reese, because I didn't know that... Uh, Margaret Sixel is married to George Miller since 1995. <laughs> she edited Fury Road, Happy Feet, and Babe, Pig in the City. This movie flies by, and it's in large part because of the way it's edited. So that's yeah, the that's editing. Awesome. I I didn't do too much trivia research because I knew it was going to be a loaded convo, but I did see it took like three months to get through all the film that was originally shot for this. 
before they like actually got to the editing process because there was like 400 hours or some shit. Yeah, 470 hours of footage. I can't even believe. That and they had someone make a real live flamethrower guitar. Uh, I also wanted to shout out because he's probably... Well, he might have turned off the episode by now, but uh, our friend Chaz Fisher, he's a massive fan of this movie, and he actually did a uh, Drive Zero episode on uh, on his podcast on uh, where they were talking about it from the visual point of view. And I actually I'd listened to it before. I listened to it today while I was driving to work because I wanted to just refresh myself because they're very positive. Him, Stu, his co-host, and they had uh, Matt Brown as a as a guest and. Uh, Matt has written a book about Fury Road, and they they were talking about it not from the point of view of story so much, but more as far as like the visual aspect of it, and you know how it drove the story from time to time. And it was a lot of stuff that, again, much like when I heard you guys talk, I was like, I agree with all of this. I just it just doesn't hit me as hard. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I remember saying with them one time, I was like, it's okay, and like I <laughs> I could hear them buying plane tickets to fly from Australia over to kill me. Well, they actually mentioned us at the end of the episode, Alex. Like, Chaz brings it up as in, like, oh, yeah, you know, our friends, Julian and Alex, they, they usually, they have this, this stance that Mad Max is just okay. The Fury Road is just okay. And hopefully we've changed our mind. And I have to say, nope, you haven't, but it's okay. <laughs> well, he has, like, there's really cool stuff that I hadn't, like, really um, noticed, I guess, thought about while I was watching the movie. Like, he's talking about how uh, Max starts the movie being an uh, involuntary, uh, blood donor right he's hooked up and he's not giving his blood willingly and then he ends the movie willingly giving his blood to charlie Theron. and i was like it's good because it's not the kind of thing that jumps at you when you're watching it you know talking I about yes yeah that's the type of shit though you could be like oh and joker you know we all wear masks it's like all right <laughs> but but i like it because it's not like nobody verbalizes that it's just something that's there in the movie and if you pick it up then that's great and if you don't it's not like you don't understand what's happening so i could right. totally and you know they they mention a lot of like visual stuff that it shows just how much there is behind it as far as just putting together this complicated you know thing it's not just the cars going fast it's just there's a lot of visual motifs and I can I can dig that. I can appreciate it on an intellectual level, just not on an emotional one. I, I can appreciate that. That that's for me, I'm not one of those people. That's not why this is one of my favorite movies. I'm like, this is a pure visceral action experience and it does it to the utmost level. Uh <laughs> like yes, there's symbolism and you can draw these like you, you can make these cool connections. Uh but that that's not the reason I come to watch this movie, but it, it, it is interesting though. There's there's definitely other things to think about with this film, and uh, for some reason I just don't feel like I, I haven't thought about going down those routes to really like dissect all of that. I'm just like not nah, just throwing Mad Max. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna <laughs> <laughs> just. And that is fine. Yeah, you, we, everyone needs those movies. I'm telling you, man. Like, yeah. Um. I, I don't know if you had another point, Alex, but I, I do want to talk uh, b- before this wraps up. I do want to talk about Charlie Theron because uh, I, I really I don't I wouldn't say I mean, everybody's fine in this movie. I I don't really feel it, like we have there's... to bring her up because she's been like a mainstay of our contrary or our <laughs> podcasting history. <laughs> that's that's part of it. Yes. Uh, but also because I think that this kind of uh, 
redirected her career. And I could be wrong, but I, I kind of have this feeling in my head that, you know, Charlize Theron was just like, she was a really good actress and people knew her and whatever. And then Fury Road happened and then she became kind of like what it happened to Angelina Jolie at some point. She became more of an action star. Uh, so I just, at least that I know of, she's done since then. She did uh, Atomic Blonde, which I haven't seen. And then she was just in that Netflix uh, comic book adaptation. Is it The Old Guard? The New Guard? kind of like an action movie as well and i mean they were selling it as an action movie and so now she's now when i think of charlie Saron, i think of oh that really good actress that is making that action in reindeer games <laughs> yes. from reindeer games to uh atomic blonde the charlie Saron autobiography uh how do we feel about charlie Saron pre fury road post fury road in fury road I'll, I'll just start by saying that i was on this rewatch i was surprised that uh how I guess in my head, I, w- I had built up Furiosa as this really kind of like silent character that didn't show her emotions that much. And uh, but rewatching it, I was like, that's not the case at all. She actually, she's a badass, but she is vulnerable. The one that is mostly monosyllabic and doesn't do much is Max. And uh, and I found actually that that was that was a nice surprise on my rewatch. But I don't know. How do you guys feel about Charlie Saron coming into this movie, leaving this movie where she is now? Oh, I, I, I love her. And I think the moment that does it for me uh, is weirdly right after we have our uh, Girls Gone Wild sequence with the girls in the, taking the, the you know, yeah, the, the white hose. t-shirt white yeah. contest. contest. Uh, the scene when when Max is trying to get the uh, the the chains off of his face or whatever his mask is and just seeing her like you can see her calculating everything in her head as this is happening and you know exactly what she's thinking she's looking for exactly the right opportunity to go for him and uh it, it i wasn't sold on her character until that moment but when they have that first action sequence or it that's like it sells it completely. Mm. Like this is this is how you do Furiosa, like yeah. or, or this character. Like that that's like her the proving grounds for that character. And then taking it forward, you understand kind of why she is doing this. And and there's a scene too towards the end where uh, she's been stabbed, and when you see her her take the truck and just burst through that other car and, and like pieces go everywhere. And this, it does this like cut to her face and she just has this, like she has literal tears coming out of her eyes and mm-hmm. just this, this just pure rage in her face. Like it, it was, it, that, that moment was like, Uma, yeah, uh, hell yeah. Give me, Charlie's give me there and sold it. Yeah. Give me the Furiosa movie. I'll take it right now. And, and I was honestly kind of disappointed when it was, announced that it would be uh an Anya Taylor-Joy prequel cuz I'm like no dude you had it here <laughs> like you set up this character perfectly to be in her own movie and now you're wait wait you're doing a prequel so like how's that movie going to end she gets imprisoned by Immortan Joe <laughs> bit like, of a bummer <laughs> sounds real fun uh but <laughs> like we made all this progress for her to have her ending, and now we have to, like, go back to her history. <laughs> yeah, like, like I, I want to see her, like, go off on her own journey. Like, I, I, I want to see what happens after this movie. Yeah, obviously, it doesn't look like she's going to have a super great time at this place she ends up at the end of this movie. But, like, 
Yeah, I want to see the Furiosa movie. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, the one on. we deserve, not the one we're getting. Yeah, like because, <laughs> you know, like, it, 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 and she is kind of the protagonist of this movie. I still think it's Mad Max that they want us to believe is the protagonist, but she's like the, she's the biggest presence. She's in this the movie. she's the yeah. Ripley to Mad Max's Alien. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So Max is the, the xenomorph. Is that what you're saying? Mad Max is the xenomorph. Yeah, he's the xenomorph. <laughs> Alex, how do, how do you feel about uh, Miss Theron? Has this movie changed the way you feel about her? Um, having you know Hancock, we did recently, and it's another movie that is in the rare class of movies that I would say I actively hate. Uh, and having watched Prometheus this month in my uh, daily horror movie viewings, because I do, that movie becomes a horror movie at the end, so I classify it as that. <laughs> um, and she is god awful in that. <laughs> so I'm ge- I'm getting to a positive here. Seeing her in this and being reminded that she's that person in Monster, mm-hmm. uh, you know that actress that's capable of that higher level. Um, and it's effortless in this. It's not even like they're really acting, uh, asking her, excuse me, to do much. Um, it was rewarding, probably more so than, you know, I know Tom Hardy's great. I don't need to be reminded of that because he hasn't made something like Hancock or, you know, <laughs> been, had, had a performance as bad as Prometheus or, you know, Aeon Flux or something like that. So seeing this and being reminded that, you know, Charlie's Theron's still that bitch. I, that that's that's uh, reaffirming, and I appreciate that. So uh, I thought she was great, and this was shortly removed from Snow White and the Huntsman, which I still think I am the biggest fan in the world of that movie. Uh, this is obviously on a, a different level, but um, yeah, I thought she was great. And for me personally, in the movies I've watched recently, seeing this again was rewarding to be reminded that she's that talented that we thought she was and is. Yeah, I've always I've always thought of Charlie Theron. I think as you know, you know, now that you list them all together, I'm like, yeah, she's in a lot of bad movies. But in my mind, I guess the the really good ones stick out. So I always think of her as just like, if Charlie Theron is in it, she's not gonna be bad. And I, well, I mean, you know, we disagree on Prometheus. I, I think she's fine in Prometheus. Um, she has a really bad line in Prometheus. That's the difference. <laughs> Yeah, she has a moment in Prometheus that Meryl Streep couldn't have, you know, sold. But uh, so I guess just going back to what I said at the beginning, my only, I guess this is just a very selfish complaint, and it's just that I like Charlie Theron as an actress. I don't really need Charlie Theron as an action star. I understand that the industry needs Charlie Theron as an action star, and just more power to her and more power to the industry for embracing that. But uh, it's kind of like my own selfish problem with uh, Angela Jolie for a while where I was like, she's a really good actress and all she's doing is these action movies and she's good in them, but it's kind of at some point the novelty wears off and it's not, it's not, you know, limited to, to actresses. I mean, Liam Neeson is, he's a really good actor, but now he must be on his 10th, 11th, just somewhat generic action movie. So Sylvester Stallone. (laughs) <laughs> uh, we don't need to talk about Stallone anymore on this podcast for a while. <laughs> <laughs> we exhausted that. Yes. No. But uh, yeah, to your point, I, I get what you're trying to say. Yeah. I, I really hope that she doesn't get stuck on just the action genre. Because as good as she is in it, I think that there's just a lot more than that 
she can do. Yeah. And so it would be a shame to just see her, you know. I mean, I get it. It would have been awesome to get the Furiosa sequel. I'm sorry, her. But it it's even more exciting to just think of her doing something else uh, using the clout that she got from Furiosa. I haven't seen Atomic Blonde. I don't know how that worked as a follow-up. And I wasn't crazy about the Netflix movie, but at least, you know, if she has that power now where she can get that kind of stuff made, that's good. But I don't know. I just, I just want her to do something like Monster again, you know, in between projects, in between big projects. When did uh, Young Adult fall in here? Was that before or after Fury Road? I was just about before. to drop that because I I never saw that and would really like to. That was uh, 2011. That was before Snow White and the Huntsman and Prometheus. I don't remember it being that far back. Wow. Yeah, those are all good. Well, she did actually. You know what? I, I take it back. And this is just because I didn't really like the movie. But she just did that movie a couple of years ago where she, uh, she has a kid. She has two kids, maybe. It. She's married to a uh, Tully. Yes. Yeah. Where she Written she gets by like Diablo a, Cody. No, yeah. thank you. <laughs> hey, young adult is also written by Diablo Cody. You gotta give them oh, a they, chance. They're both the Jason Reitman combo. Uh-huh. I didn't know that. Yeah, she is totally is actually. I I just life just handed me an answer to what I was complaining about because totally is, uh, I guess the kind of project that I don't want her to stop getting involved with. It's it's just a drama, and she's great in it. And I'm pretty sure it happened after Fury Road, so that's that's good. Well, there you go. All right. Bringing this home, I do letter grading. Julio does a star rating. Uh, I don't know what y'all do. Oh, uh, they do the one franchise to ten. Killers. One to ten. Okay. Well, I'm pretty sure I know there's going to be at least one ten in the bunch. So let's uh, <laughs> let let's throw it over. What uh, on one to ten, where y'all landed on your scale? Go ahead, guys. I guess I'll start. I'll start with a nine point five. Uh, I'm going with a nine. Ten. <laughs> <laughs> Tremendous. Well. I, you know, I don't remember what I gave it the first time I watched it. I'm pretty sure I was already in Letterboxd, but I didn't. I don't remember. I, I, you know, it's, even though they're very different movies, and I was definitely more passionate about one, about the other one than this one, I'm going to put it on the level of Baby Driver in the sense that I'm going to give it four stars. Oof. Oof. <laughs> That's an insult to Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> If you're not compare if if you take out the baby driver side of it, the score on its own, I will accept. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's good. It's good. I just you know, I think that if I made clear, just don't come at me telling me that this is about the meaning of life or about I don't know the politics in America. I mean, it's no, that's that's projecting a little too much. It's a fun action movie. It's a, it's a really well made action movie actually, and. Yeah, uh, so four stars, Alex. I think you kind of like gave it away earlier. Did you say B or B plus? Yeah, I was about to say almost completely echo- echoing your sentiments. Yeah, not not a plus. It's just a a dead center B, which may sound like a better grading or ranking than some of my words and inflections were, but that comes from a place of exactly what you're saying of me just not at all thinking this is some seminal classic or anything like that. But for what it is, very well made. I have no uh, 
disinterest or aspersions of ever watching it again. I will definitely seek this out. I might even own it in my collection one day. I'll get the Chrome and Black edition. Who knows? Uh, which, just looking up on Google really quickly, it's. I guess those were limited release because cheapest I saw was like 35 bucks. B, it's great for what it is. And I think that's where I'll leave it because I've definitely done enough talking about this movie for an evening. Um, so we got that out of the way. Tremendous discussion. Now is the most important part of this episode where we throw it over to the franchise killers. Give us the whole rundown. Where are you at? Where can we find you? Where can we follow you? Where do we download the episodes? Just give it all to us. And what's coming up on the show? Uh, yeah, you can find us pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. What, whatever you're listening to this on, uh, it's probably on the same platform. Uh, we thrive off of those five-star Apple reviews. Those uh, help with the algorithm. Yeah, no one listens to uh, my call to action, so if you're going to listen, listen here. Please, yeah. come on. They're a special type of awful. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> just like... <laughs> but yeah, uh, next episode, I mean, we're right in the middle of doing our Robin Williams miniseries, so we just released The Fisher King, and the next one up is going to be... Well, this, this episode drops in November, correct? Yeah, all of these will be done. Yeah, that'll be pretty much done. You'll have a flubber out there. We'll have Goodwill Hunting out there. And, of course, don't forget, we're going to be doing Good Morning Vietnam! Yeah, that one, too. (laughs) Good Morning Vietnam. Yeah, all those episodes will be out probably by that time. I think so. No, no, not quite. Not quite. We're, We're like... It's crazy. We're we're at the end of October. I didn't even realize mm-hmm. that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that's what's on the that's what's on the playlist for now. So yeah, check us out. Um, all right, well, guys, it's been great having you. It it was uh, I couldn't have thought of a better way for this to play out to bring you uh, with a movie that the three of you adore and then have you talk trash about it for over an hour. <laughs> it was tough. It was tough. <laughs> Uh, thank you for coming guys and uh, Alex uh, I guess you want to throw us to the to the end of the episode yeah we'll just go ahead and go into our perennial plugs we start off by giving a thanks to the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks they kick us off with last stand take us home with summer of 99 head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs uh, our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Rothieser he's the man behind our logo the graphics on our webpage, the graphics on our Patreon page. He's just a renaissance man. And actually, Hans has a surprise coming. Well, not so much a surprise because I told him on Twitter. But uh, next episode is finally our Doctor Who movie episode, which he requested over a year ago. We're finally getting to it. So, Hans, sorry it took so long, but uh, I'm sure it will be worth it. So, uh, if you guys want to contact Hans and talk to him about Doctor Who or request a logo or tell him how cool his podcasts are just reach him on uh demonios at hotmail.com that's m-i-l-d-m-o-n-i-o-s or on twitter at mildemonios or you can check out his website mildemonios.pe thank you hans for all your support and thank you to miss zoe perez our social media guru who helps curate our social media if you haven't already uh, go over to facebook.com slash contrarian prime give us a like follow whatever the fuck you do on facebook anymore these days uh, there's some exclusive vi- <laughs> some exclusive videos there of us discussing trivia and behind the scenes about the movies that we cover and we're also on instagram at contrarian prime there zoe puts together some videos audio clips interactive graphics all the things that Julio and i are too old to figure out how to do zoe 
We appreciate what you do for us. And with that all out of the way, one more time we give a thanks to the music and franchise killer for heading on board with us today. But that's going to do it for the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. But even so, I'm